So my cousin is doing well. Um, we went down to to check on him and everything. Uh, it was uh, very bad at first, but it, he has drastically improved day by day. So all prayers, vibes, positive energy have, have done very, very well in favor of my cousin. Um, right now they're working on getting his right arm together because they were going to amputate it. Wow, yeah. no shit. Yeah, um, so he was, he was a, he, it was a really bad accident. So he had got slammed, like his car got ran off the road and as he was getting the kids out and everything and him and he, uh, another person were talking, another car slammed into them, into the car and everything. So it was, it was, it was just really bad. Um, just a really bad accident. So while we were there, he had took the tube out, uh, out of his- Ventilator, like a ventilation tube kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, he took, he, took, he took one of the tubes out and he was, uh, he got out of his restraints. He had done all type of stuff that I'm aware that it's something I would have done because, you know, I, I, I don't want that. I don't, you know, when you're uncomfortable like that, that's the kind of stuff that you do, you know, especially when you sedated and everything, you're trying to figure out what's going on with you. So I appreciate, I appreciate everyone who sent positive vibes and love and, and, and thoughts and prayers his way because yeah. it really did, it really did him justice, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How, how you been, my guy? Good, man. Good, man. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even like I said, like I could kind of tell a little bit last time, like as soon as I was talking to you, like I had listened and I'd listened to some of your prior podcasts so I could kind of tell like something was going on. Like you have something, I, even right now you smile, like I could see like, you know, your energy is totally different. Yeah, man, look, and I apologize for it because I was trying my best to get through it and, and, and just and, and be involved. But, bro, I had I had a massive headache. I had a massive headache. And then dealing with all that and being upset about, you know, the fact that somebody, you know, like my cousin's in the hospital and there's nothing I can do and who did yeah. it to him and, like, what the hell is going on? Like, all that. Yeah. I was frustrated. I was extremely frustrated. So I'm sitting there, I'm trying to talk to you and I'm listening, I'm trying to, you know, be in, engaged. Yeah. It, it, it was all, it was just all going wrong. And, and I was just sitting there like, yo, I'm trying my best. And I, I'm like, I, I'm sure he can tell at some point that I'm just not, I'm just not in this. Yeah, like I know you from the past well enough, you know, like to know, you know, how you are. So I was like, did I do something? Am I like, what, you know what I mean? Like, so as soon as you said what was up, I was like, oh. Oh man, just go, like get out of here, go take care of whatever the situation is. No, it, it had nothing to do with you. If it was anything that to do with you, we would have had a conversation ahead of time to right. go here. Cause I'm not gonna do that. I'm not, I'm yeah, not yeah. that person. You know, I'm a I'm a stand-up guy. Yeah. And I'm and my integrity, morals, values, and just my overall character mean the world to me and others because people they they they, they lean on me for that. So uh hell no, man. It had nothing to do with you. It was, it was just that. Uh, it was worrying about my, my my cousin who was traveling to go see her son, you know what I mean? And then the father and, and, and then the babies, because as the car was coming at him, he threw his child. He had his child in his hand. So as the car, as he, you know, as he looks up and he sees the, the car, he throws his child. Yeah. So, so he, so the child, so she doesn't get hit, you know? So it's just, it's just a mess of stuff. Yeah. Just a yeah. mess of stuff, and I was just like, "Yo, what, what, what is going on right now in 2020, dude? Like, this year has uh -huh. been, been one big clusterfuck, you know? For real, for real, <laughs> for real, for real, for real. Yeah, so much, man. Yeah, and, and that's I say that with like 
no disrespect to nobody, but this year has been yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, I, I I don't know, like not to sound I'm actually I'm not really pessimistic. I, I just think I'm kind of like a bit pragmatist. Like I I, I don't necessarily foresee 2021. Like, I don't think it's going to end exactly, you know, like, it's not going to be like, it's not going to be like, you know, those pictures of like the end of World War II and it's like uh, uh, New York City and, you know, like, the, there's the famous picture of like the sailor kissing the nurse on in Times Square and everyone's celebrating is, or like, you know, when someone wins the World Series and people are in a good mood. I don't think that day like that is going to come. Like, I think there's going to be hopefully a gradual return to something that's a new type of normal, you know? So it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's, uh, I think we are all being desensitized to what may yeah. happen. Yeah. 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 And like, never know. And that's a really good point. Are you recording now? Are you already recording? Yes, it's recording. It's recording. Okay. Yeah, like, I think that's a really interesting point. Like, I think that actually, in a way, that desensitization um, is of value um, in, in regard to kind of keeping people immobilized or keeping people from really, um, you know, if you're desensitized, if you lose kind of some kind of like sense of sharing and sense of community, right? Like, I think that there's, there's like a, a value in that for those that want to maintain the status quo. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? and, and when, like you said, being desensitized, you, you, be, you, you become content with everything that you're seeing right so the, the part of you that will reject any bullshit and fight back and push back what what sense of urgency do you have now right. at that point to want to fight back right when you right. you've seen so much and you're like well i'll just go along with this now yeah you know yeah. so um yeah i definitely agree with that i hope that isn't the case i hope people still continue to have their nerves and they have their 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 preparedness, yeah, awareness okay. up, you know, and their sense of clarity, and 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 as my uh, family would say, your spirit of discernment, have right. it up on high to make sure that you know you're not letting things get by you, and you're not letting bullshit pass by you, and and and, and just continue to go along with with some type of program. So, like, what do you think, like uh, that spirit of sermon, right? Like, I think that's an interesting that's an interesting phrase, like. What do you think helps people maintain, like, you know, that kind of clarity of thought or like that kind of um, sort of like inner beacon, right? Like that that inner, there's an inner drive there that's important, right? Yeah. yeah. And like, what do you, what do you think, what do you think is, um, what is a way, you know, like as we get older, right? Like, um, like as an artist, right? Like I still have, I was just, I was just taking a walk this morning and I went to the grocery store and I was getting groceries. And as I was walking back, like, you know, I was thinking about like what the next project is that I want to do, okay. right? And, um, and I moved a few months ago, like maybe a month and a half ago. And, um, you know, after moving, I have projects and work to do, but I haven't really been drawing. You know, like, like the upheaval, the change of routine, plus all the other things that are going on are a bit of an inhibitor to creativity, right? 
so like that idea like you said that um uh what the the uh the sense of sermon spirit of discernment the spirit of the sermon right like i think it manifests probably for everybody in a little bit different way but it's kind of that isn't it if i'm not mistaken please correct me uh it's kind of that however you want to define god or the universe right it's that it's that space between where we as individuals kind of connect to both the society or the world that we live in and also that driving force right like, right and so right. notice so, like, being able to tell the difference between truth and lie and and, and a person who's out for good versus evil, things like that. So um, and, being able to and, judge correctly, not be prejudiced, but being able to judge, uh, not judge, but being able to, to, to tell the difference between what's going on. Like um, there needs to be like, I think like it comes, this is kind of returning to the point a few moments ago, right? Like um, that idea of like uh, being desensitized by the situation. Mm -hmm. Right, like it fucks up that inner lens. Well, I, I just think for a guy like me, like it's always it's always on. I just think it's just always on, even through everything that's going on. Because I think growing up in environments that people that I grew up with, and, and most people that grew up like me, you already are fighting a battle, so it never does stop. So your mind is always thinking to make sure that you stay. Uh, I think well, I forgot what rapper made to somebody said, said stay woke you know mm -hmm. what I mean I forgot how the song goes but it, it, it was called stay woke and it was no matter what's going on always be on your pivot always be aware to to push back and make sure that you know the right thing is uh, getting through to you and you can you can swim through through the bullshit and the negativity um, this for some people man I think this has been a time of what's the uh reflection and I guess epiphany for some people, you know, and, and it's also been productive for some people through, through right, yeah, yeah. They've been able to, they've been able to fight through it and see like, look, this is going to happen. I know what's real. I know what's fake, but I still have to maintain a level of consistency and progression through the course of my day, life, year, month, hour, or minute, you know? So um, for me, I think I'm just one of those people because I've always been on a high alert. I've always been on a high alert. Wherever I go, I'm always on high alert. Uh, when we were in Kentucky, my sister was like, it's a little bit different. You know, we can we can turn it down. I was like, just a little bit. You know, and she was like, yeah, we, we can't turn it off. It's like, no, we can't turn it off. We can turn it down a little bit because when we got there, we saw the area and it was just like people were just getting along. People just getting along. We went to the pancake houses, a diverse group of people sitting at tables. And she looking at me, I was like, whoa, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. You know what I mean? But at the same time, even though that's going on, it's just that you, for me, the, your alert is your, your level of awareness is still high. You know, uh, my man short said um, to be aware is to be alive. Right. Right. And so, right. Right. So while anywhere we are or anything that I'm doing, no matter what may be happening or what's going on, I still have to make sure that, um, I'm, I'm on that on a, a high enough level to to be able to operate. Do you think that uh, in the digital age that people are like the mobile digital age? Do you think that people have um, lost some of their alert focus? Absolutely, absolutely. Because I think so many people had their head down, looking at their phone all the damn time. 
uh, you could almost run into people nowadays because everybody has their head down. No one's watching where they're going. You know, you had at one point people were walking up just snatching phones. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Right? <laughs> and because they're, they're so engaged into their phone that they don't know how to pay attention to the world around them. And they don't realize they don't necessarily some of them don't necessarily see the change that's happening around them. So we kind of like touched into this briefly, but, you know, um, in Japanese now, there's a word, there's like a new word, right, of the last few years for walking with your smartphone. Right. And like, because it's a dangerous thing, right? Like think about a city with 22 million people, right? Wow. So if someone's like suddenly zones out walking with their phone, like they could walk off into this and onto a train track, Absolutely. right? They could, well, you know, like, or there's 50,000 people crossing the street at the same time. And like, Absolutely. all it takes is like one person that's totally oblivious. Like- I, I saw a woman um, last week, I think Friday. Mm -hmm. I'm walking through the pathway in Chicago. Um, she has her head down. So as she's coming toward me, I move to the side. Get out the way. Just to get out the way, I was like, I already know where this is going. She has her, she got her head down. She's all on the phone. She has veered off into the same area where I'm going. So I say, watch a step, watch a step, watch a step. Three times. She looks up and has an attitude because I told her. Right, to watch a step. Yeah. And then she... <laughs> You could have just moved. And I was like, I got to the side to get out your way. And you got in my way still. I was like, now, if you if you make something out of it, it's going to go wrong for you because you were being dumb. And then she just looked at me and then she just kept walking. It's like, it, you couldn't even tell that I was in front of you. What if I would have been the guy that wanted to take the phone? Right, right, right. What happened then? Of course, of course. And then, like, of course, because you burst her bubble, right? That bu that focus bubble yeah. that she was in. I took her away right? from it. Shame on you. Right? Oh, oh my God, I feel so bad. I feel so bad for looking out for your safety. And I bet right. you after that happened, she went back to doing what she did. She probably I'm sure she did. was an asshole. You know what I mean? And, and she yeah. had no idea that at any, she has, the, just like other people, they have no idea when they're walking down the street that you could easily step into traffic. You could easily walk into somebody and fuck up their day. Somebody could be walking with coffee in their hand. You could walk over somebody's child. It could be anything that you're doing, but you got your yeah. goddamn head into that phone, man. I know, I know. And it's I not know. that fucking important. It is not that fucking important, man, to sit on there and be on a fucking mobile device, losing minutes and hours of your day, getting your brain and all your, your vibrations and, and and fluid sucked into the fucking phone just because you can't differ, uh, differentiate between real life and that fucking phone at some point. Well, yeah, and you know that there's this thing about the brain function, right? Like not only the alert part, but also um, the brain at rest, right? So like uh, the phone, especially with like social media and the hits of information, um, produce like what which is the which is the compound in the brain dopamine um it produces the, the, whichever is the chemical compound in the brain that has to do with like um you know the the old experiment about the rats with the bell eating cheese right so like like when the rats would hear the bell it would stimulate the brain it might have been dogs and not rats and i might be getting this all wrong but what it does is it stimulates a part of the brain that's um, is like 
always looking for the next piece of cheese, uh. right? So the way that the brain reacts to feeds of information, not only like Twitter and, and Facebook, but you know whatever is that next hit of information, good or bad, the brain reacts to it in a way that keeps it tuned into that stream, right? And that, and that like there are all these little signals and bells that are built into the system, part of the user experience that are intended to invoke that reaction in the brain, yes. right? However, our brains really need some time to be in either meditation or rest or like aware of the world outside, right? So, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, there's a, there's, I think we haven't really seen yet, like um, it's only been what, 10, 12 years since this has become the prevalent technology. We haven't really seen yet the long-term psychological and developmental effects of what this is doing to us. I mean, actually, I do think we'd see it. We see it because everybody's got no fucking patience. And we yeah. see it because everyone's, you know, like totally yeah. become tribalized. And, and I think it's part of it. What people don't understand is that all these apps that you guys are on, they're fighting for your fucking attention. That's all yeah. they want. They want all your fucking attention and you be, you're giving it to them. That's all the apps want. You touch on Facebook, touch on Instagram, Snapchat, all all these little apps. They just want your attention. That's all they do. That's how they get paid, right? right. That's how they right. find ways to engage with you. It's because right. they're fighting for your attention all the fucking time. That's why I do not turn on my notifications. And when right. Facebook right. sends me, says, hey, you haven't checked your notifications in three days. I know, motherfucker, and I swipe <laughs> that shit off the screen. I know I haven't checked it because I don't want to check it. Right. I don't want to see what everybody else is fucking doing. I don't right. care to a certain degree. And they don't care what I'm doing. No. The main thing is when I do go on there is that I, every the people that I see, everybody's either doing well or I can give uh, some inspiration or I can correct somebody who's making a statement about something they don't understand. I can put some truth out there or throw a book out there or find something inspirational for myself. And then I get off there, man. I'm not going to be on there scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling trying to see what each person did. Yeah, I, have, yeah. I, would, I would rather have my peace of mind and my sanity than to sit there and be on that app scrolling all day. Do you know when I be on, when I be on the bus going home and I look around, everybody is on there doing the same thing. They're doing yep. that. Scrolling up. Scrolling yep. up. Yep. They scrolling yep. up. They tapping. They double tapping. Or they, laugh, they laughing at jokes. For me, I'm on a bus. Either I'm reading or I may be on YouTube watching, watching like a battle rap or something like that. You know what I mean? So, so then the question is, so then, so like that kind of like begs a question, right? Which is like, which is like, is the problem the way that we use the device or is the problem the device itself? So like if, if for example, like you remember just before smartphones became kind of the thing, there was like uh, e-books, right? You remember like when the Kindle first came out. Right? Yes, I remember that. I remember that. Um, and what? Alexa, not Alexa, but there were other, other, you know, similar product lines, right? Like, so if, if the focus of the information is something that's more sustainable, does that, do you think that that has a different merit? Do you think that, that, um, that it's, it's not inherently the device, it's the way that we're using the device? That's... I think it's the way that we use it. 
think it's the way that we use it. I understand everybody needs their entertainment. Don't get me wrong. I understand everybody right. needs their entertainment and they need their escape. But every once in a while, man, don't, you know, find something that get something informative off that thing, man. Something that'll do you some justice. Something that'll do that'll help your life out, man. Yeah, I can go, yeah. You look with these phones now, you can literally find out ways to make money. Sure. You can literally go online and find ways to make money from home. Right, right, right. And the majority of people aren't doing that. And when you talk to them about, so what do you do with your phone all day? Oh man, I just be on there watching this. I'd be on there watching that. I'd be on there watching this. I'd be on there watching that. So yeah, at, at no point you ever say, let me see how I can fix my credit. At no point do you say, hey, I want to own a building. At no point you just say, hey, you know, I think about a career change. I'm, I hate my job. I don't like my job. You know, all, all this stuff. And it, it's like to be taken advantage of, advantage of the technology that's being given to us in certain cases. And I don't think we are. So, you know, it's kind of funny because actually I woke up at 345 this morning. Okay. Right? And, you know, uh, I debated getting up because it's kind of getting, I mean, we're not, it's not as cold in Tokyo as it is in Chicago, I'm sure. However, it's getting cold here. So a lot of times, like when it's real early, I like to get up and take a walk. However, it was cold this morning. So I hesitated and I took out my phone. But it's funny because, you know what? Actually, I was exactly looking for what you were talking about right now. I have been thinking about additional streams of revenue. And uh, yeah, like that's actually what I'm on the hunt for is thinking about what do I want to do to have additional business on top of my work as a designer and illustrator. Yeah, I think everybody should, though. I think everybody yeah. should. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've started doing it a lot more. Uh, every now and then, I would go in there and check out things for um, different things that I want to get involved in, um, um, youth programs and stuff stuff like that. But once this happened, you kind of just go, well, I can't get too involved in that. So the young people who do need my help, they have my number. And we can have conversations over the phone or FaceTime. You know, everybody's FaceTiming or doing Google Duel and things like that. So... If they still need me, they're still able to get in contact with me. But away from that, what can I do to get my put myself in a position where I have another stream or streams of income coming in to me so I can be valuable to myself and to the people around me? You know, as I go, they should go. It's interesting because, like, in the time that we've been adults, right, during our adulthood, um, like we, we went to college and there was the idea that like you go to college and you're going to get a job. Our parents were of the generation where they get a job, right? And like that job basically pays your mortgage, you know, and pays yeah. your bills. And, you know, probably, you know, most, most, most families from when we were growing up, like, you know, the generation before them, one parent might be working and one parent might be able to be at home, you know, like the mother probably could be at home or maybe have a part-time job. Whereas like our parents' generation, probably both mother and father in an atomic family had to be working, right? And now those jobs don't even exist, right? Or if they do, like, you know, you're a contracted worker, you're not a salaried employee, like there's less and less of that type of work. So we have to be a lot more industrious and entrepreneurial to really um, have an opportunity in, in this world at this time. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with what people do with the phones and the way they engage with them. But I would like for each person 
listening, hearing, whatever it may be, watching to make sure that you use that phone to do something progressive and productive as well. You know, right. like it's there, it's there for that, for that. It, it's technology in the palm of your hand. You know, uh, when, we, when we talk about the future in Star Trek, we're in that right now. Yeah. We're able to access all this stuff um, and build and, and provide and try to put ourselves in better situations. Yeah. So that's all I got about that. You're in design. Yep. I'm in design, man. Talk to me about that. Uh, all right. What? So, so. Um, all right. Well, I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask you to bring another question to that. Like, what, that's a that's like a, a y axis. What's the x axis to kind of give an entry point? Because design is a big, broad thing. Okay. Okay. What field of design are you in? What do you do? Uh, so uh, I work as really comes from being an illustrator and um, and using illustration and design. So so at the core of it, there's drawing skill. And hey, a lot of my work is for games and mobile application development, you know? So um, I work in uh, games and mobile application development, but I also do promotion and creative design for like creative direction for um, businesses, especially small businesses, advertising, social media, like developing stuff for their social media branding, um, uh, business cards, logo designs, print promotion, um, tabletop games, not only not only mobile games, um, you know, uh, uh, publication design. So pretty much running the gamut, motion design, animation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So from the level of illustrator and art director, so uh, maybe I don't necessarily have to do all parts of the design process. I might work with a group of people or in the case, like, you know, because of my skill set, maybe I'm the designer and I'm providing all the design work. Um, it really just depends on the needs of a project or a client in any situation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you're the art director? Well, so in that case, there's three, there's kind of like, break it down to three roles, right? There's the creative director, the art director, and the artist slash designer, right? So the creative director is the one that like helps the business with clarifying the promotion, clarifying what the goals are, coming up with a strategy, like a broader sense strategy from the, from the initiation phase of we want to do something. Right. The okay. next step is really the art director, the next hat. And that hat is much more having the idea of what we want to do. Let's look at the toolkit and let's look at the design components that we're working with. And let's think about what the visual psychology of that is. Right. So so that's the art direction hat. Right. And then working with the design materials to be able to orchestrate it to meet what the creative director's overarching strategy is, right? Then the third phase is really the designer artist phase. And that's the part where you roll up your sleeves and you actually do the logo design or you do the illustration or animation work or the character design work. Gotcha, gotcha. So, it's a kind of a three-step process. Mm -hmm. And um, 
most of the time, like I work, I prefer to work with small businesses than to work with large corporations. Um, Explain why. Because uh, I think that generally there's a lot of bigger hurdles. Um, there's a lot of um, bureaucracy and um, there's a lot of stuff that uh, without an intermediary. So like if I'm not the art director or I'm not the creative director, I would need somebody that I would trust in one of those roles to be able to interface properly to, to help a, corp a large corporation get what it needs, right? Because um, my belief is that um, design and art and business are all interrelated and they're much more personal than they appear to be, right? Mm. Um, it's not, you know, like McDonald's is a juggernaut, right? And like, and don't get me wrong, like that's what I'm saying. Like if, if, um, if for example, I was, there was a, a project for McDonald's, if there was an agency or somebody that was an intermediary for me to deal with, to help understand what this giant font that is McDonald's needs, right? Then making it personalized, I could take that and, and develop something, right? So that's what I mean by there's a, a very important role of, of something that is personal in regard to both business and art. And I think that like, um, you know, that's a very, that's a kind of a very glossed over part because people get hung up on the idea of like, you know, brand recognition or um, celebrity and famous artists, you know, but uh, it's much more, it's much more pedestrian than that in my, in my philosophy. And, and um, so, and, and that's what I want to also work with the, I want to work with people, you know, I like working gotcha. with people. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, if I can help businesses and organizations, if I can use art and design to educate people, you know, in a way that's fun and engaging, then I feel like I'm on the right path. So working with the bigger corporations can be somewhat exhausting. Absolutely. I did a game for uh, Television Tokyo recently, about a year ago. It was a big project, took a long time to do it. Uh, and it was a great experience, but like each decision, each step in deciding like little things, like, like for example, the launch icon of the game, right? You know, like the button that you press to launch the icon of the app. How many iterations were required because of the number of different, you know, chefs that were stirring that stew? Okay. You know, like if that had been a project that I charged hourly for, I could have made several thousand dollars for the amount of time that I just put into that because of the number of iterations that were required. Now, sometimes, you, you know, you, there could be a couple of good voices that help guide the whole process so it could go fast and you end up with something that's stunning. But sometimes because there's so many different people involved and so many different um, hurdles to, 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 to decision-making, that what you end up with is something that is watered down. And, um, you know, I think that like, you know, we, we as consumers sometimes see that stuff and we're like, why does, why does a movie bomb or why does, 
why does this, you know, why was the the first part of this game, there was, you know, part one was great, but why did part two, like, what, who made that decision? Probably it wasn't one person. Probably there were a lot of people involved with fucking up that decision. Yeah, there was a lot of people who sat at the table and said this, that, and the third. We don't like this. We don't like that. They stripped it down of everything that made it good. And you got a shitty product. Right. So, like, having the right people in the right positions is key to the success in any project, right? And that, and that it doesn't mean that everybody has the right answer. What it means is that people know when to defer allowing the person who has the right answer to answer the question. Yeah, and I think in certain situations when it, it comes down to an executive board making a decision on, let's say, let's say I had a product and I knew what I wanted to do to get to the people, but they got a hold of it. By the time they got a hold of it, they had stripped it down of all of its essence and the thing that made it what it is that the people didn't get what they needed to get. Right. You know, they had took so much of the soul and everything out of the product that by the time you get it, it wasn't it wasn't really what it should have been. It, it had been jacked up full of high fructose corn syrup or something like that. I'm just throwing throwing stuff out there. But yeah. um, it, it, you, you never got what you should have gotten uh, when I originally set out to do have to have this product given to people. So sometimes I run into, so, okay, I, I try to approach things with the inverse, the opposite, you know, like an inside out version of what you're talking about, right? So instead of um, strictly thinking about something, I mean, I might not be, cause I'm not a big, I'm not a big angel investor, right? Like I'm a designer, I'm a, I'm a service provider. I'm not somebody that's putting up the money to fund the project. However, uh, in regard to providing a service for a client, right? Like if it's a small business and they're trying to release a new product, like sometimes it's interesting because clients don't, clients have great ideas sometimes or they have something that they're passionate about, but they don't necessarily understand the psychology of the design process and how to make their passion or their idea or their product something that expresses the psychology of its origin or its purpose, right? And big businesses, big corporations and big agencies have the luxury of having a team of people to help make those decisions. However, like you said, like that's where though it can get, it can get run over by, you know, like a board of decision makers. and diluted. So um, I, I really often, this is, comes back to like you asked me, what do I do as a designer? Well, in the beginning of a project, I spend a lot of time kind of just getting to know, having a questionnaire or trying to figure out how to talk to people who have a product that they're hiring me to help them with or a service that they're hiring me to help them with. Because if I don't really understand it, I can't really do the job that you need. Correct. Correct. You and know? I think for me, from what I'm hearing, that's why you like to have the engagement with the smaller, small business. Absolutely. Absolutely. You get to sit Absolutely. down and build an actual relationship and have a better understanding of not just the product, but the person that you're dealing with. So you know how to put more into it than uh, it would have been like for a McDonald's or something like that. Right. A board and I'll have all these people, too many people, like you said, too many chefs in the kitchen talking and, and making sense of Making making no sense out of a situation that could be done a lot easier. So yeah, like and then, and for exactly for that reason. However, um, you know, it takes time. 
And sometimes people, sometimes potential clients, this is how I learn, how I screen people, to be honest, how I screen clients, is if they're unable to engage in answering those types of questions, it certainly tells me a lot about how serious they are or how much real thought they've put into what they're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? You kind of expect it though. Some people that they just have an idea, but yeah. they, they haven't put down a, a basis, a foundation, a plan. You know what I mean? They have they haven't really done that. They just some people just say, Man, I just need a logo. Right. I just need a, a cartoon that does this, but do why do you need that? Like why do you need that? Who's yeah. who's gonna look at that? What do they need to understand within one second of seeing that? Yeah. You know, because like that's all you get. One second. You got one second to prove something to somebody. Yeah. So you better, that better be really impactful in that one second or all the money that you're investing is worthless. I agree. I agree. So like, that's the kind of, those are the kind of questions and the kind of thinking that's really involved when I commit to working with somebody on a project. And, uh, you know, I care greatly to connect with clients and, and, you know, I mean, obviously I want to make money and we all have to make money, but I feel that um, there's nothing that's more gratifying than providing material for a client that they just see it and right away their face lights up or right away, like, they're like, you, you're expressing what I want to get out. Yeah. And they, they light up. You yeah, just, like yeah. to give someone that that like you're helping facilitate their ambition. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. like that's powerful. That's empowering. You're empowering somebody else. Yeah. So go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. That's a that's a that's a that's a breath right there. Okay. That's a, okay. Um, so tell me, mm-hmm. have you found the time to continue to work on your own personal art? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 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 It's so imperative also. Right. Because like this is what we're talking about, like just a little while ago. Like I I said, I was taking a walk in the morning and thinking about what I want my next project to be. So lately, you know, yeah, maybe I've been a bit slow uh, because I move. But, you know, I guess it's one of those things like, well, when I'm on the train, like you're talking about when you're on the bus. So when I'm on the train, um, for example, I always have my my sketchbook. Or actually now, you know, I mean, to be honest, I I can't lie. I draw on my iPad, but man, my iPad is one of the best sketchbooks I ever owned. And it's not, there's, you know, it's not, it's not for me a tool of social media. It's a sketchbook. Yeah. And um, I draw, like I draw people on the train, you know, Um, uh, during the start of the pandemic, I had been working on a project which I'm still working on as a regular client. It's an American independent comic book company. And um, like I do some logo and lettering and and product design with them. And um, through working for this this small publisher, uh, I was talking to one of their artists who was a guy in Argentina, another cartoonist, another illustrator like myself, just from a different side. And uh, I needed to just exchange some information with him in regard to prepping some files for publication for this comic and for one of the upcoming comics for that month. And um, while we were talking, it was like right when Corona was starting to hit. Okay. And, and, and I never met this guy before. And he's in, in, in 
the countryside of Argentina and I'm here in Tokyo and we're just, we start laughing about it. Like this shit is ridiculous. Like this is back in February or March. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. And we start, we start kind of making a joke. Like how long do you think this is going to last? And so uh, 30 days, you think in 30 days, things are going to go back to normal. You think it's going to be a month. And so we kind of like made a joke, like, oh, it's going to be 66 days. And then if it's 66 days, either like the queen of England, Godzilla and you know, Donald Trump are going to figure a way to get off the planet. Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, it was kind of like just this joke that we had in passing as we were like exchanging documents and transferring files, right? And um, after, after, you know, I get the files from him and, and whatnot, I like slept on it. And I was kind of thinking like, it's silly, but there's actually something kind of there, you know? So I went back to him and I said, uh, like I, I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't even know this guy except for for exchanging art files and seeing his art. And but we're, we're remote. We don't work together. But I just said to him, I was like, you know, this is kind of an interesting idea. What do you think if we did a comic for sixty six days and told the story from two different artists' perspective of how the world is changing during this crisis? And uh, so we spent a couple months like putting together. Uh, an e-comic and um, you like know, aside, like from, aside from aside from like client work like this was our own our own thing you know I like that I like that and and um, sometimes there was there was some fantasy to it like you know thinking about like what is this really what is this situation really and and sometimes it was like you know I, I remember one of the one of the episodes we tried to come out with you know a couple of weeks and uh, in one episode, it was from 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 real life. My my wife and I were going out for a walk here in Japan, in Tokyo, and uh, my old office was right by, it's close to here, but right by a very historic uh, part of town with lots of bars and things. People know it because they they see it. It's a very you know like tourist heavy area, and um, we were walking, and every place was supposed to be closed down. But she and I were just taking a walk. It was sunset on a nice spring night. And we walked by and there just happened to be some little sake place that was open and an and a older gentleman inside running the place and he knew it's not supposed to be open, but there were some neighborhood people hanging out inside and everyone was wearing masks, but we went inside and had a couple of drinks and we ended up getting a little tipsy. And, and after I left, and I, it really made me ponder like this whole COVID scenario you know, like I understood the people a little bit that, that I get mad about when I hear about like the Americans that refuse to wear masks or who, you know, are, and like that wasn't necessarily the case, but there's there's a part of it. I'm not talking about the people who say it's like my it's my right that I don't have to wear a mask. I, I'm not talking about that part. I mean, the people who struggle with having things shut down, having nowhere to go, you know, who who are like sometimes, sometimes like the younger people who are like, man, fuck it. If I get it, I get it, but I gotta get out of this fucking house. You know, like some of those people I have some empathy for, you know, like this is a difficult situation. And so like that became, that became an entry for the comic that like I really wanted to approach it from a different perspective, you know, like not just, not just blaming somebody for being, for having that feeling or being careless, but like remembering that we're humans and we're social animals, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the other part I would like for you to capture if you get a chance to is uh, they've said every month it would be something different 
And then I think that I think they said at one point for the month of July, it'll be aliens or whatever. So get ready for that. Did you see like the meme for that? It was like, we we made it this far. Next is going to be the aliens. Get ready. And then they had the Independence Day with the alien ship coming over. I was I was laughing at that shit. I was like, man, if that happens, it's like, I, what now? You know, like yeah. uh, we go with this shit. Yeah. What now? But yeah, I think that would be pretty cool to, to, to try and capture, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, right now, like actually I, you know, we kind of fulfilled around our 66 day mark for the comic. Okay. And so, you know, like the, the, that was kind of what it was about. So, but you asked, you know, like, what am I doing in regard to my own art? Like I do that. I got a, I got a cypher event coming up here. Um, at, actually I have a client for my design work who's my long-term client now, you know, like six to seven years. And they have um, a bar and cafe. And like now in Tokyo, we're not, our situation is a little different than it is in the United States. It's not as critical as it is right there now. You know, like we're a little bit, it's not that we don't have it here, but it's not as dangerous here as it is yeah. in the States. Absolutely. So um, it's like almost, I feel bad like to have this conversation with an American right now, you know? Um, but um, our situation is a little bit different. So uh, we will be having uh, a cypher event at their, at their bar and lounge, uh, what, in a week, two weeks, three weeks, three weeks. So I'm, uh, you know, like, yeah, man, you know, like music is always a part and art is a part. And um, yeah, I think like if, for example, like if you're a business person or if you're an artist or if you're an educator or whatever it is that you do as your career path, I do think it's kind of important that like, you gotta have a little bit of your own personal passion that you play with in regard to what your career is. You know, and if that means like, as a business person, you're working on big deals and whatnot, but you should still have a little side business that you're trying, you know, you're tinkering with, you know, that, that kind of keeps your brain fresh. Yeah. Yeah, it breaks up the monotony. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like, it helps keep creativity and passion. Yeah. Keep the, the skills sharp, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. 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 All of your time shouldn't be devoted to making somebody else rich. Yeah. Unless that's what you choose to do. If that's what you choose to do, then fine. I get it. I understand. But, you know, you should also wait for more. So also be something worked on for yourself to make sure that either as a hobby, you make sure that you're expressive to what you personally like to do or, that you make a living from it. There's nothing wrong with that either. Well, what do you think, like, what do you think in that regard? Because like music's a tough business. It is. And I was gonna ask you that, are you still doing music? Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no choice. That's yeah. like, you know, like, it's not it, like what, you know, anybody, anybody is like the same thing. It's like music, you know, color is just a vibration of light, right? Music is just a vibration of sound, right? Um, and for that matter, like culinary art is the vibration of those, those ingredients as they hit your tongue, you know? Um, so artists, I think artists are people who are fascinated with um, creating those types of experiences for people, right? Um, and maybe sometimes some, some people are hobbyists and they like doing it themselves. So, you know, I'm sure we all know somebody who like their friend who's a great cook, maybe they're not a chef in a restaurant, but they cook at home, right? Um, I think you become an artist when, when 
your goal is to do that, to provide it either as an experience for other people or a uh, method for which you make a living, Indeed. right? Indeed. So I, I might not be a musician for profit. However, um, I am a artist, a visual artist as, as a profession. So, you know, um, music somehow is a very big influence on the visual component, you know? When you're at home and you're working, mm -hmm. uh, any like personal projects like this, the 66 days, mm -hmm. what music are you listening to? Man. Are you playing music or is it just silence for you? Okay, it's interesting. I'm gonna tell you something that I don't really talk about very much. And it's something that's happened to me over the last few years. I find that when I'm alone, I get I have a difficult time listening to music alone. Hmm. Uh, here's here's something very okay okay here's something very interesting music to me right I mean I'll, I'll make music I could take out I could take out like my my drum machine and my keyboard and um, I could work on beats by myself but when I'm listening right and I'm working on artwork and I'm alone I feel like I'm being left out of a collaborative process because music is like the ultimate collaborative process, right? Like art, art, art commercially is collaborative, but I do my part and then I send it in to the client or to an art director or I'm the art director or whoever I'm working with. And then, you know, like the, the next phase is the revisions or, or the changes that need to happen. So there's this movement and collaboration that occurs in that way. But music, music is an instantaneous collaboration. You know, like when, 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 when the drummer's in the pocket and then the bass drops and then, you know, like it's, it's easy for the guitar and the piano to find their place, right? Like it's so, and it's so, when you do it, like it's so, and the same thing in the cypher, right? Like when you're in a cypher and like everyone is just on fire, right? And like, even when they fuck up, like the next person is there to just pick up the next line, right? Like it's, it's like it's like, it's like a relay, you yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so so in a way, sometimes when I'm alone and I listen to music, I I end up having this very distant feeling, you know, like okay. because I want to because I want to be I want to be in the room. <laughs> <laughs> like and, and 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 a lot of that is like to be when you ask though I, but I do listen to music a lot I I mean I it's not that I don't listen to music a lot it's just I find when I'm completely alone listening to music it heightens a sense of loneliness that I'm not entirely comfortable with as a human being but uh man you know I listen to a lot of 70s music um a lot of 70s music a lot of funk and jazz and Brazilian music and uh, I really find that something happened. Like I like the eighties and of course, like, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm like from the, you know, eighties and nineties backpacking school of hip hop, you know? So uh, I, that part is my life, but just prior to what I was old enough, like the music that I remember my parents playing cause they're big music lovers. And um, that, that music formed me in a way, and I find that it is still informative to me. 
And that the thing that I find the most informative and I feel very strongly about is though, even though I can sit and make beats myself and produce all my own tracks if I want, um, I still find that I love dance music or like hip hop or funk. I love when there's a drum, like a real drum. And it could be stripped down and bass, basic, but like dance music that you can actually dance to that's not programmed on a sequencer has so much more power. Like when you hear like that salsa sound from the 70s, you know, and when you hear like, like Archie Bell and the Drells, and when you authentic. hear- Authentic. Yeah, like when you hear that, that level, when you hear, when you hear the JBs, you know, um, uh, when you hear, when I hear, uh, oh man, Grover Washington Jr., you know, and the way that that music makes my whole body move because there are at least three or four people that are working congruently in yeah. such beautiful congruence. Yeah, to make you know? that like the, the, that part, man, like I still, I sometimes like, I want that. Like I still, I still, I love hip hop because what we can do is like, I think aside from the lyrical component and the poetic component of hip hop, I think like the, the, the one of the things that aesthetically got me so excited by hip hop when I was a teenager and a young guy uh, before even being a teenager was like starting to identify where samples came from. And that not because, it, not because it was something that was copying, but it was something that was repurposed, you know? And that like, like the hip hop that I grew up loving was like suddenly music was able to do what Picasso had done with collage a hundred years earlier, right? Like a hundred years earlier, dude started cutting out magazines and, and, and newspaper clippings and created a guitar, like an image of a guitar, right? Um, and suddenly like nobody, nobody thought to do that in that way before, you know, like repurposing, repurposing materials to create new art. Right. And suddenly like in the eighties, like that shit became a reality or like with, with sound. Yeah. And, um, like, I think that there's, there's a beauty in that conceptually. Okay. Uh, and that, that's for me, still, for me, uh, for me oh. when I'm home. I listen to music uh, like when I'm doing this and I'm listening to to the people that I'm interviewing and everything. I have music playing. It's not loud. It's just it's low enough to, to keep a certain type of vibe in the room, you know, um, but it's it, it keeps me motivated. It keeps me it keeps me like uh, in a certain gives me a certain like feeling when I'm doing it, you know, like when I'm yeah. chopping up clips or uh, or, or, you know, just when I'm when I'm cooking, I, I, I'll have music. Yeah. That's the time. That's the time that when I'm alone or not, cooking is the time that definitely music is 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 almost unavoidable. You know. Okay. Okay. So so do you find do you find that different activities call for different music? Um, when I'm cooking, I use like upbeat music or maybe not so much upbeat music. I, I use like love making music. Like I'll turn on like uh -huh. the Isley Brothers uh, station, uh -huh. TV Wonder station. Uh -huh. um, I'll turn on Teddy Pendergrass or something like that, and I'll cook. Mm -hmm. All right, food tastes really good when you when you. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, it tastes it does. really good, you know, <laughs> because you, you you're cooking with love, and that's that's how I was raised. I was I was raised to cook 
with love. Don't go in the kitchen angry. Um, and if you're going to be angry, shut it off. Take a break before you go in the kitchen because you don't want that to be a part of the meal. I was, I was told to go in and make sure that I, I cook with love. So, you know, you hit that, you hit them tunes and they start hitting that groove and you're like, all right, this is going to be good right here, you know? It puts you in the right spirit, man. At least for me. At least for me. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, when I'm showering in the morning, upbeat music is playing, you know? Right. Uh, it may be hip-hop, where usually it is hip-hop, or it depends on the mood I may have. I may have um, some classical music playing, you know, some symphonies, yeah. some orchestra, um, I may have something like that on. So like when you listen to classical, so this is good. This is good because I have, I I like, I guess I, I, I like classical music, but I find that there are, there's a, there's a kind of range of classical music that I find interesting. What, what classical music do you find that uh, appeals to you? You know what, to be honest, I just let it play, man. Like I don't, as far as classical music goes, I just I just let it play. There are certain things that Pavarotti has done that I do like uh -huh. to hear, mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, I just I just let the shit play. Like I don't um, I need to be more aware of what it is I'm listening to. But you know, uh, the three tenors comes on, and I'm oh I I I I'm aware of this song right here. I just let I just let that stuff play, man. I just let it play. I, I have no certain thing um, to to listen to when when the uh, classical music is playing. When you're feeling deep, man, definitely check out some like French Impressionists. The okay. French Impressionists, like okay. so that era, that era, send that's it to like me. Send my. It to me. Send it to me when we when we get okay. off. All right, all right, all right. That era is particularly interesting, but I think like it's triggering for um, cerebral kind of when you need to be cerebral. Okay, definitely. No? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I like. I should like that then. Um, so I, I, did you, you know, you know, the food part, right? Did you know that if you hum or that if when you when you're humming while you eat, that there's a vibration that occurs that actually stimulates the ability for the receptors of the tongue to taste the food and it, the, 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 to, to receive more, more in, in greater amount, the flavors of the food, yeah. right? Yeah. So like I've heard that like people in um, the military and people locked up, like once they learn this, that the whole idea is like you hum to yourself while you're eating nasty food, because at least if you put a little salt on it, you might get some flavor out of it that you wouldn't otherwise find. Somehow those vibrations help with, with the way that the tongue receives. I did not know that. I was yeah, yeah. I, now I don't but know, you know, like- part of like I could understand the receptors as far as being as a free man um, out in the world, being able to taste. Cause I, when I think about that, I know my grandmother hung with home when she was cooking. I know my aunt homes when she cooks. I know my mom homes when she cooks. And when they're tasting the food, they sit there, they'll, they'll hum. But when that flavor hits, they kind of stop and they get mm -hmm. the taste. And if it's right, they'll hum some more, <laughs> but when it's not, but when it's not, you you watch them and they'll shake their head and like, the this is missing something. And they'll go and they'll reach for something and they'll, you know, they'll they'll turn the food over and they'll add some more spice to it. So definitely that does make sense to me. I did not I did not know uh the thoroughness to that, but it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah. I no, I can't I can't I've never seen a scientific test in regards to any kind of like specific study, but I, I definitely think that there's a, 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 a it sounds legitimate. Yeah, it does because now, now I'm thinking about like, man, 
My sister does it. I do it. I do it. I'm in there cooking and I and I got them. If I'm dicing chicken to make tacos or something, I'm putting my cayenne pepper in there and I'm putting the different things. There's a little lemon pepper in there. You throw stuff in there to give it some spice and then you taste it. And then when it ain't right, you go, uh-uh. And then right, right, when it is right. right. Yeah, you you taste it and you, you hung. You're like, yup, that's it. That's the one. You know? then, isn't it interesting like how how even even that part, like the universality of those two notes, uh-uh. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, you know that like even in game shows or when there's a wrong answer, right? Like those two notes, so declarative in something is it like it shuts a vibe down. Yeah, Done. that ain't right. That ain't right. <laughs> so maybe it's part of the whole the whole universal effect, right? Like yeah. that that is an agreement with through, through the universe that something is not right. Uh uh-uh. Yeah. You know, and we yeah. gotta change it. You know. You know, even babies yeah. know that. Uh uh-uh. uh I don't want that. Right, right, right. Because uh-huh. even yeah, like like before before probably no sometimes can come out of a child's mouth. Uh-uh. Yeah. You tell me here, take this. Uh-uh. Right. You know what I mean? They turn away. Uh-uh, I don't want that. You tell me here, take it. Uh-uh, I don't want that. You know, so they know something. They know something as well, even on even on the smallest, simplest level. That makes a lot of sense. You know, the universe speaks in so many different ways, man. Whether we yeah. deny or, or reject it, you know, it, it, well, it talks, it speaks, man. That's that same thing of like being on alert, right? Observation, allowing the universe, like being in just in tune, watching it, listening to it. You know, yeah. like. Like uh, music, music, that's one of the beautiful things about music, right? Like this is another difference between music and visual art, in my opinion, is that um, visual art is more of a response of taking in and observing kind of, it's, it's kind of like I take it in and I kind of like, it takes, it takes an amount of time to to process and put it back out into something new visually, right? But with music, music is almost like, it's like surfing, right? Like it's like the vibration in the moment, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I think that there's, there's, there's a very, that to me is the most fundamental difference. It's not the aesthetic difference between sound and visual perception, sound and sight, it's more the instantaneousness of the of the processing of which the inspiration comes from, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. But you know what? Because while while you're saying that, I'm thinking about the different types of the layers of certain music when you're listening to it. Like when I'm listening to uh, there's a, like a funk band. I can't I can't think of their name right now. And when you're listening. There's so many layers of the music that's going on and they're all competing. They're like competing or they're all riding, you know, a certain beat and a certain rhythm, but and they're all jamming and they're doing their own thing, but it's all synced into that one track, man. Man. It's all synced into that one track. Fearless Flyers, have you heard of them? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? You got three guys playing the guitar and if you're listening to it, you can hear every guy doing something totally different. It's like, yo, this is, this is amazing. Yeah, you yeah. got Nate Smith, and he's just on a drum, and you can tell like he's leading, like he's a lead. You know what I mean? Even though he just he's playing the drums, he's a, he's a lead, and they're picking up and they're going and they're riding that, that they're riding that wave with him. You know, and it's just crazy. But yeah, I get what you're saying. But that, that was just me. Like I, once you started talking, I started I started I started hearing music and everything. So well, and some people some people manage to like 
to, to kind of um, sync it all up, like Maurice White, right? Earth, Wind, and Fire, right? Yeah. Like had it all together, right? Because like Earth, Wind, and Fire had a visual representation. Well, Parliament, you know, and George Clinton, the same thing. Yeah, right? because all those guys moved around from each one and this guy with it. Dynamic, man. Dynamic. dynamic but also like the visual component right like 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 earth wind and fire when you went to see an earth wind and fire show there's so much going on and then even like on the album cover right there's something that's um geometry and basic elements you know and the name earth wind and fire it's so it's like a, a certain kind of like incantation of a lot of different components all at the same time. And then when you listen to Earth, Wind and Fire, especially like, man, when Maurice White would just lead the band and sing and like he would let, he was so brilliant at like incorporating instrumentation, knowing when to let the different people come through at different parts in a live show, like how to give that to the audience like such amazing ability to incorporate so many components in one moment, you know, and to guide all of those different things. Yeah. 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 It's, it's crazy. It's great. Like when I listen to music like that, like that instrumentation, man, I'm always blown away by it. I'm like, man, what the hell were they thinking when they did that stuff? I, I, I'm like the most thank, one of the things I'm most thankful in my life for it, right? Is that my mother was, is, is a huge music person, right? Okay. And when I was born, it was 1975. And so like right around the same time, like Songs in the Key of Life came out, right? And um, my earliest, I have, I have like three, four, four, like my earliest, I remember music from when I was about one years old, right? Really? And, yeah. And Songs in the Key of Life is absolutely my my most foundational memory of what sound is, you know, when it comes to music. Like, and and my God, thank God, like what a fucking blessing to have such like, I mean, and you talk about the parts that go together, the genius of Stevie Wonder. Holy shit. Like, I, I mean It's a bad dude. Dude, dude, dude. Is there like like I think a few weeks ago, not a few weeks ago, it was before Corona actually, like this is how time flies, right? But I was having a day where, um, you know, and I still listen to it. Like I, I, I was having a day where, you know, it had been a lot of, it had been going on and I put on, I put on Songs of the Key of Life and um, If It's Magic came on, you know? And like, dude, I, I was weeping, you know? Like it just like really? broke, like just every, every deep, every profound, every hurt, every pain, everything, um, it was like, uh, you know, could be so in line with a sound, you yeah, know? Okay. Okay. And, and, and just like the freedom of hearing, of hearing that music, you know, what, what, what the power of one song can do, you know? Um, yeah, to me, like, that's where it is. So, so I have Stevie Wonder and then, you know, my parents were, were, were big hippies. And so Bob Marley was, was definitely played. And to this day, for some reason to me, Rocksteady is, the rhythm of Rocksteady is actually almost like the closest thing that I can imagine to being like music for children. You know, because that, 
that groove of rock steady. There's nothing else like it. And it's so easy. Like you can go anywhere in the world. I've been to many different continents, right? And reggae is so fucking universal. You know, like now hip hop is, but there's something different about reggae that is especially rock steady. That rock steady beat, like the way that the Wailers did that rock steady beat, man, it doesn't matter where you go in the world, there's something so primal. That's like, like they were in touch with, with something that went all the way back to Africa, something that went back to the origin of man, something that went back, like that rhythm is so intrinsic that like, I, I, like, I don't say ch like children's music in a bad way, I say it in the way that like, that we as a species, whatever we were children, that rhythm, there's a truth in that rhythm that goes all the way back to that point. Yeah, you I, know? I think there may be several songs like that though. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not saying one song, I'm saying there's, there's something though in rock steady, in that groove yeah. that is specific, you know? Um, and then the other one that, that, that uh, was very, very like goes back to like when I was one years old that I still remember is Dizzy Gillespie, right? This. Well, Dizzy Gillespie, like my parents would listen to Dizzy, they had a couple of Dizzy Gillespie records. Not only Dizzy Gillespie, they had a lot of jazz records, but for some reason Dizzy Gillespie got played a lot at that time. And um, something about like uh, that jazz sound was very important. And then I think the fourth one, not I think, I know specifically, the fourth one was like, um, was like a, a, a Magic Mystery Tour by the Beatles. So um, still to this day, I mean, I, 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 you know, I think that like there was something there in that music that uh, for me is still an incredible important part. And definitely like, man, Songs in the Key of Life, there's, there's no, there is no other album that even is on the same level to me with that album. That was, that was unique, man. And, and like, in, I mean, don't, I mean, the, the Talking Book and, and, and Inner Visions, those are also every bit as amazing, you know, like I'm not, I, but there's something specifically to me that, that, that is my, some of my earliest, I remember, you know, rocking out in a car seat. Mm. That's right. Sir Duke. That's crazy. You know? That's crazy. He's done some, as far as Stevie Wonder goes, he's done songs with uh, uh, Raphael Sadiq and yeah. uh, Snoop, with Snoop as well, right? Yeah. yeah. You want to hear a crazy, you want to hear a crazy story? So um, there was a time that Bob Marley was, his life was in danger in Jamaica and he couldn't go to Jamaica. He had to get out of Jamaica. So he was, he was in London, but he was also a little bit in danger in London. He was doing shows and he ended up um, on the road with Johnny Cash. Wow. And those two guys were going around Europe doing shows and getting into trouble and having fun together. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that must have been like? That had to be crazy. That had to be a, a crazy. Wow. Wow. That, 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 so that's something totally different. I, I, I never heard that until now. Yeah. There's, 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 there's um, apparently before Johnny Cash died, he wrote like a, a story. There's a story that you can find it that he wrote about. They were playing after a show. It was a small, they were somewhere in like Austria or Germany. And they ended up playing 
poker with a bunch of gangsters and guns came out. And then he said that he got nervous and he's the only person in the room that was cool was Bob Marley. Bob Marley never lost his shit. You know, he, you know, he's going to be cool about it. That's so, something that he's, he was probably used to, you know, seeing, seeing situations like that. Absolutely. After oh, I wonder if he did a spiff in the process of it. It's like, man, I need to hit this shit too. And everybody just needs to chill. Yep. So, not long after that time, though, there was a, a series of shows that was done in Wembley. And, um, and Stevie Wonder and Bob Marley were actually billed together. Okay. And they were they did they did a couple of songs together for each other during some sets. Man, do I wish God if I could have oh, only. I, I wonder is that can that be found? Is is that there, you can find that? you can find some of it. You can find some of it. Some of it is available on YouTube, and it's not the quality is not very good. But um, damn it, yeah, you got it was there's there's there is a recording that is Bob Marley and Stevie Wonder together doing I Shot the Sheriff. Wow. Wow. You know? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I did not expect to hear no shit like that, man. Bob Marley and Johnny Cash. Yeah, Bob Marley and Johnny Cash. Shit, man. And then, like, that's the, the like, how, you know, like, talk about rebels, you know, like rebels, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, because I'm trying to picture it, like, two guys, you know, like, wow, man. <laughs> shit like that, like, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine no shit like that. I would love to see footage of that, though, man. Right. And I'm and sure they, it's probably just so old and grainy that you know it's never been redone or recaptured or something like that to get it up to current times. That's the kind of thing that, like, you know, if you stop and think about it, there's like, you, there's a movie, there's a story, you know, there's something that Hell must yeah. have happened, you know. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Like. People that like that's that's inspiring. If you could tell that story to people, there's a there's a there's a place of inspiration there. Do you ever at any time wish to be around those type of moments? Because I I do hearing stuff like this, like man, I wish I could have just been a fly on the wall. Just absolutely, absolutely. I, I wonder. Like, here's what I wonder though. Here's what I wonder. Like, um, I think like this comes back to kind of earlier what I was saying about design is like. I wonder, or I think, or I, I hope that, I hope that we're living those moments on a personal level. And that if we are genuine to ourselves and to in the relationships that we have with other people, then we have the opportunity to live and experience those moments so that like maybe down the road and in the future, like when we run into those people or into something that triggers those memories, we have a feeling that is similar to the feeling that we have when we discussed like Johnny Cash and Bob Marley together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, that's, I guess that's my hopeful, that's my, my wish and my hopeful feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is just genuine. Yeah. That the love is there, the love and the respect. Yeah. I think it will be though. Like, as, man, anybody that I'm, I'm good with, man, they're gonna, they're gonna always be good with me. Only way you're not gonna ever be good with me is if it just goes wrong, man. Like, for the most part, as, as children of this earth, men, women, you know, if you, if you, if you're able to talk to people and sort, sort out differences, it's, it, you know, 
time can pass and, and, and make things better. And you should we should we should all be able to sit down did and you, discuss things. Did you ever see this reminds because it's kind of like a, a you know, I think there's a part of being open. And this this kind of is in line with what you're saying with Otto Center a few minutes ago. Um it's like there was a, a really interesting video, and there's a, a dojo, a karate dojo in, in Detroit. And um, um, there's this great video, uh, and I think that it's run, it's like black owned and operated business. And um, the man who's leading the, the, the session has a kid, like a little boy who's trying to do something. The boy's trying, he, and, and he's crying. And the sensei, this teacher, like embraces him and tells him like, it's okay to cry, it you is. know, like, and like, like, don't be afraid. Like, don't, you know, like society's telling you like, like you, you, you gotta be a man, but like, what does it mean to be a man? Right. And like, like there's something that's so important there. It is because I was, <clears throat> excuse me. I was having that same question, that same, uh, that same conversation with uh, my friend Renata and we were talking about it. And she, and I told her like the way society has put us or the, the way we have been groomed as men where we grew up, we were told not to cry. Right, like, Men don't cry. And you're telling a child, a young boy, an adolescent to be a man. He's not a man though. He pays no bills. He has no job. His only job is to go to school and have fun playing dirt, like girls, kiss girls, you know what I mean? Like, that's his, that's, that's his only job. So when you tell him he has to be a man, are you a man or you a boy? You can't be crying. You're, you're stripping him of the ability to be emotional and be able to talk to you and, and have that type of relationship with women or with you. Right. You know what I mean? And, and sadly that has happened to so, cause I, I, it was told to me, it was yeah. told to me. And because of that, I don't think people understand when you tell young men that, that you're telling them to only use aggression and anger as right. the substitute. That's it. Right. That's the only other substitute there is. So consequently, out of any situation that may happen, I only know how to respond to you wanting to have a conversation with me through aggression. Because right. that's, what I, that's what I know. Right. And, that's what and, I know. But instead of you saying, hey, young man, son, nephew, What's wrong? I feel like you weren't listening to me or however the conversation may go, or I didn't want to do that and you forced me to do something I didn't want to do. And you can have that conversation with a child because you should. Right. As a child, we are expecting children to engage as adults. That makes no sense. We're asking them to do things on a level that we want them to do, that we would do, but they're children. And I often tell people uh, from time to time, you can't expect a child to be on the same level as you. Let them talk. Don't tell a child, uh, shut up. Don't know about any of that. Stop all that crying. You can't do that. You can't do that. You're neglecting their feelings and their emotions. And one day right. they may do it to you. Well, and then the flip side is also like, is, is, is like you're saying, like you can't expect them to be adults, but at the same time, you can respect them as you would respect an adult, right? Like there's, a, there's, a, there's two parts there, you know? Um, like, and it's not only children, it's just anything else, like respecting life in general. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. And everyone, um, should, everyone should be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> just respect life as it, 
everybody's life as it is. You know, you don't necessarily have to disagree or be able to get along with everybody, but you know, each person is a human being. Give them that respect that they deserve. And then, and then also pain, feeling, experiencing pain, uh, experiencing hurt are very primal, fundamental, primary emotions that everybody experiences, right? And like, I, I mean, I think I, I, well, not I think, I admit to uh, my own lack of empathy sometimes. Um, because like you, I was brought up believing that like complaining, bearing witness to somebody else's complaints is not, you know, like you, like I shouldn't go over to somebody else's house and complain about what's happening in my life. And they shouldn't come to me and just start complaining about some problem that they have. And, yeah. and on some level, on some level, I can't entirely disavow that notion, right? But that also should not inhibit us from being empathetic to other people's pain and to sorrow and to the hurts in the world around us also, yeah. you know? And like, um, I guess that's where like, thank God, like, you know, there's, there's love, right? And like, that's where like, I was gonna say, thank God there's Stevie Wonder, right? To like, <laughs> remind us, to remind us of yeah. like the beauty of love, right? Absolutely, like, man. I wouldn't necessarily want to be in a world full of people that were just filled with hate. We would all kill each other, man. Yeah, I mean, look at, look at how it is right now. You know, I think people, people are barbaric right now. Absolutely. Animal instinct has kicked in for certain people, but I don't think it's no different from any other time. I think, what, through the course of history, it may have, this may be the least amount of savage, savagery we may have. Right, right. You know, but it's still, it's still a ridiculous thing that we can't, that we can't seem to understand that, you know, we're all people on the same planet and we need each other to survive, but. Maybe that's just something I, that's just a ridiculous notion to me. I don't know. Well, I think though there is there is kind of like the weather and the climate thing, right? Like you know, like the difference between weather and climate, right? Like weather, like we're talking about climate change, right? And then you got like somebody like the asshole president that's like, "There's look, it's cold right now, so there's no there's no climate change. How can you say it's global warming, right? Like people, you know, with that kind of mentality. But I think when we talk about also the shift in society. So, so there's the climate component. You're absolutely right. There's much less violence in society in, 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 in mass over the last century, in, in the last 60 years. However, on the weather front, it's a little, the weather's not so nice outside right now. It's not. You it's know? Not. We got, we got po ice polar caps melting. We so, got and I think that- flooding like it's it's a nasty situation and the fact well not the fact but the thing about it that sucks is that we're ignoring scientists well but that's what that's what that's why i'm saying like my 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 analogy is is that that our mentality as a species in a way is um in a way is like similar like we have a broader like during the time of the romans during the time of um you know, various times throughout history, the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, uh, various cultures, the, the Aztecs compared to the Mayas, um, you know, different Chinese empires, right? There have been different times when the climate of human society 
has been more vulgar, vulgarly brutal than it is now, right? So like I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm going back to what you were saying a moment ago. Like we are more peaceful as a species now than we were, you know, 50 years ago. But we are there is a weather component, right? So like like how we behave this month as opposed to last month, right? Like the weather is the day to day element. So in society, like the weather of society, I, I do get concerned a little bit about how much slippage that has occurred in the last few years. But, uh, and that also does in a way go to the fact that like people are not allowing critical thinking and scientific thought to be a point that whether you and I disagree on how we address a problem that we identify because we can critically be aware that there is a problem there. And that's where there's a fundamental, there's a real serious, scary issue. And the climate change issue is exactly that type of issue at the same time, right? Yeah. So mixing metaphors, but yes. Yeah, you, you, on double entendres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spiral <laughs> them around, there's a little DNA yeah. on that one. Yeah. Double spiral. Yeah, um, but I, I, I agree. I agree. It's, uh, do you ever feel like it's exhausting? What? Which thing? I, I, I'm always going to ask you to clarify. I might I'm thinking, not always, but I'll ask you. To that, the thinking that you know um, to neglect the thought of science and, and um, that group, that that poly, that body of work to say that you know things need to change swiftly, or we need to be able to change things uh, because of the effects that we have on the planet, the planet due to using aerosol cans or right. ozone layer being damaged or things like that. Do you ever uh, find it exhausting that people seem to look at that stuff and think that there's nothing wrong with it? You know, I find what I, what, uh, what I really important. find exhausting, what I really find exhausting isn't, isn't laziness on the account of individuals at large. What I find really exhausting is when, when people in leadership roles that should be smart enough to be critical thinkers ignore or choose profits, you know, short-term profit over longer term necessities in society. And that the only reason for that is greed. Yeah, right? and it sucks. It's crazy and that, that so much money could be donated, I mean, not donated, but allocated toward a defense budget, but we just reject the science and, and nutrition yeah. and things that actually matter, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. I'm not saying defense doesn't matter, but- No, right, right, no. A lot of it's money that goes into now. that. Huh? The ratio. Yeah, it just, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's disgusting. And not only that, like the part that's like like is short-sighted, right? Is that is that due to limiting resources, we will have to allocate greater resources to defending those more reductive, you know, reducing, you know, the reduction of our, our resources, right? So like we're sort of creating like a, a, a negative feedback loop, right? And and that and that if in exchange we put that energy into um, how thinking about what our agricultural infrastructure is and um, how we foster 
you know, the ocean, um, that what we would be doing in the long run is creating more and greater resources for broader society, right? So it's so it's it's the it's the absolute yeah it is it's it's it is defeating sometimes to see the short sightedness because because like man if we really can if we as a society really really just got into it right like really just accepted it accepted that we need to change the way society is and bought in well actually what we would be doing is investing in having a better future right like and 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 then like like we would be seeing it it would happen faster than i think we even realize you know it's like you ever see those pictures there's like uh there's like this 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 couple that moved out in in there was a place that had been uh environmentally degraded in um south america i think it was in chile and this couple just like went out and they've been living in this in this in this farm out in the countryside for like 15 years and they just started planting trees right and there's a satellite shot of them from 2005 and a satellite shot of their farm now. And the whole that. area. I saw that. The whole area is like green and alive and things are back. And like squirrels that. and larger fauna are there and there's more diversity of species, right? So like the earth is is ready. The earth is ready to like- Replant. You know, yeah, it's like we'll replenish if we treat it correctly. Yeah, or it will do it while we are here. And why is yeah. the process? Right. And like, and, and it will happen right in front of our eyes, you know, yeah. like it, maybe it's not, it's not like day by day, but it is, but it is day by day. We just don't see it. Right. We don't like, see it. We don't like, see it. And it takes, it takes all the, the micro funguses and the bacteria. Everything works. Right. And like, and maybe works. you don't see it, but it's all interconnected. Did you and on the negative oh, of that, I saw recently a, video of this man he took his boat and he took some people out on the boat i don't know where it is but there is a uh, a ship filled with 60 million gallons of oil or something like that and it's sinking and no one has come to get the boat it's just sitting it just it's slowly sinking oh it's in the south pacific it's in um no, he's, 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 he's no, been trying to get in touch with this government that person this person yeah. and no one has come to help uh, remedy, the, remedy the situation to make sure that we get this out of the ocean. When this sinks, this is going to cause havoc. Yeah, like it's 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 inescapable. It's it's that that part. That's the part that when you asked that question earlier, like um, it's it's disturbing. It's painful, you know. And then here's another like. So you asked me about like personal projects. Like three or four, I guess it was like three and a half, four years ago, I started a project called Tiny Oceans, right? And what it was, was like, I was trying to do an entire intellectual property, not trying, I did an entire intellectual property development, like a world building exercise as a visual artist. And it was all centered around the idea that um, plankton are one of the most critical animals, the most critical life forms on our planet. And that, you know, like uh, these plastic gyres, like these plastic place like these plastic continents where all the plastic is accumulating in the ocean you know are are um are like sort of the idea is that like it's well the idea is that there could be games and there could be um 
comics and there could be character design, because that's what I do, that focus on showing what this tiny world of the ocean is. And at the same time, also kind of giving people something to think about in regard to how ocean health is important to us as, as a species and to, and to our planet, you know? Um, yeah, man, I'm real into, I'm real into the ocean. I'm real into, you know, like environmental issues. Should be. Everybody should be at some Everybody should be. Everybody should. Exactly. Everybody should yeah. be. This is your yeah. fucking planet. This is where you got to live. Um, yep. The only and, thing you got. And, and like, it's so beautiful, you know, like it's so beautiful. Like, is there's nothing like this is it. This is one of the most beautiful, like this is the most beautiful thing. Yeah. And the crazy part, like for you, you're a man who have traveled to more places than me. Mike, I, I interviewed Mike. He did, we yeah. did an interview. He's traveled to more places than me. The beauty of being able to see these places and <clears throat> excuse me, having a better understanding of the planet and the people and what's going on, you know, it, it, it gives you a certain a certain feeling and sincerity toward the planet, you know, a certain sympathy and empathy for the planet and its people. But you have those men who just uh, go back to what we were saying earlier. It's just about a profit to them, man. They, they care nothing for that. You know, life is just business to them. And, and that transactional mentality towards like resource resources, the resource, like limited resources, right? Like we can replenish them if we choose to, but they are inherently limited, right? So like the mentality of that as being the way that we drive our society trickles, like there's no, the trickle down thing, I don't believe in trickle down economy, but I believe in trickle down psychology, right? So like, like if, if, if the people that are the greediest at the top view the world as something in which it is theirs to exploit. How are those that are underneath, those that do not have that same level of strata, you know, on that high level of strata of wealth, how are they supposed to believe that there is any other way to treat the world? You know, um, like not everybody, not all, you don't hear, you don't see, you know, we don't, we don't really see, you know, we only know a couple of famous, you know, multi-billionaires, right? And, and a lot of them don't really give any reason to be inspired for anything other than to consume and to be greedy and to be exploitive. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you ever uh, feel like people in those positions that are uh, bigger on business than they are on you know, the planet and the people, do you ever think people like that are uh, morally bankrupt? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that I think that to get to that level, there is some amount of um, sociopathic quality. You know, like you know how we talk about like uh, um, autism being a spectrum, right? So like everybody falls into some area on that spectrum, right? Maybe 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 you know like we're we're well. Uh, uh, equipped enough to be able to not really be visible on the spectrum, but it's still a spectrum. I think like having some level of, of uh, sociopathic behavior is exists in a similar fashion. And I think that people who are so willing to exploit um, are able to and do better in finding their way into those situations. 
You know, I think more, there's more, that's as equally a part of it as any kind of um, genius in regard to strategy of business and strategy of engineering and strategy of money making, you know? Okay. Nutrition, are you big on nutrition? Big. Yeah? Big. I think we were talking about this a little bit. So like one of my favorite things about living in this country is the history of nutrition in this country. Because oh, you we did, we did, but I, I was so, I was having a bad time. Yeah. It's all right, it's all right. Yeah, he, so like, he told me some really good shit, yeah. yeah. But go ahead, speak on it, speak on it, I wanna hear it. All right, all right, so like, like living in a country that's got a history of nutrition that goes back a long, long way, um, you know, you, you, there's there's a reason why Japan has some of the longest lived people, you know, the, the longest living people in the world, right? Um, and a lot of that has to do with the quality of the food that they eat, the, the kind of fats that are in the food and the kind of proteins as well. And that like eating fermented foods, like the idea of what came before refrigeration, first off, right? Like this, that's a critical component understanding how to make your food keep, right? If you can make your food keep, then you have better nutrition to begin with, right? So, but, but it doesn't mean packing it with a ton of salt. There are, like, that's where fermentation comes in, right? And then it turns out that actually the fermentation process creates bacteria and enzymes that are actually really helpful for how we also digest our foods, right? So like there's layers to how that shit works and um, I find that part extremely fascinating. Yeah, I had to, I learned a process of, what is it called, curing the food with, mm -hmm, with, mm -hmm. with uh, salt. Um, mm -hmm. was showing me like he was packing salt like all into, I was like, man, that's gonna be some salty fucking fish. I was young and I didn't understand it. And he was like, right. I'm gonna show you something. I'm gonna show you the process. He said, you use this much salt so you don't, you know, you, uh, I forgot how he worded it, but it, he said you kind of cook the fish right inside out, but you're also ridding it of certain certain uh, elements to, to uh, that are in the fish as well. He said so when I go back and I actually do my cooking to the fish, it won't it won't taste like that. He said you've already right. eaten my food and don't even you already eaten this fish and don't even know that this right, is what, right. this is how it started. But this is a part of the process. So, you know, like the whole thing, like this, this is a real interesting part, right? Like this is the beauty of humanity, right? So, you know, like the, the, the um, superstition about putting the salt over your shoulder. Like, okay. you know, you yeah, salt, salt over your yeah, shoulder. Yeah. Um, you know, this all has to do with the idea of salt was an agent that drew out um, bacteria and drew out uh, impurities in food and um, like, if you have salt, if you can draw out impurities, then like, you know, you're doing pretty well in the world, right? And you know, salt was an extremely, extremely uh, high-end commodity up until what, like 150, 200 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> so like, even still, like you can see here, uh, people will sometimes put a little pile of salt, right? Like the, it'll be like in a pile. And they'll put it on a little dish in front of their house. And what that is, is to draw out the bad spirits. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right? gotcha. Right? It's to draw out bad spirits. So gotcha. salt is powerful. There's even, there's like, here's another thing like that, like words, right? Like um, things that you learn from words. So there's a word in Japanese, the word is ambai. 
And what it means is like, it's together, like, so Japanese is written, most of the time Japanese is written, it's written, I'm looking for something Japanese right here, because I got like things in Japanese, like written all around me. But like, when you see Japanese, most of the time, um, you see all those, those very complicated looking letters, and most of those come from Chinese. And um, those are ideograms, they're not letters, right? Like, they're not letters like merely a sound, they have a meaning, right? So this one, in this, in this regard, Ambai, the first letter is, is for, um, is for a plum and the second letter is for salt, right? Because pickled plums are an important staple, right? So if something has good Ambai, right? What it means is like you found the right balance between packing the right amount of salt with the flavor of the plum so that when it pickles, is going to have a special kind of balance that mm. you're going to feel that balance. Wow. You know, like that's a, that's a word. Wow. That's a word. Okay. Okay. So, um, talk about like I'm learning culture. shit. I like this. I like this. I'm learning shit. Here we so, go. So like the idea, the idea of like how, how food culture and nutrition yeah. also uh, work into ideas and, and concepts is interesting. And uh, man, like there's so many, there's so much of that here. Like this is a, this is a, this is a country of food and um, uh, ritual around how food is done even on a regular daily basis. Yeah. Okay. How, how long did it take you to get accustomed to it? Was it immediate or? Well, I mean, I think my father had a lot to do with it because he had had, he had kind of introduced me to some things because he had worked with some Japanese businesses and had a client that had a Japanese restaurant. So when I was a kid, he used to take me. So I was kind of a really little kid, like four years old. He, they, you know, they would let me taste some of the different things. And um, we had gone, you know, I grew up in Miami Beach, so we would go fishing and, um, you know, I grew up with fish. So the idea of eating raw fish was not necessarily something that was, uh, crazy it was just a different way of eating fish that we I never thought about it just that's how, and I was so young I didn't really it didn't stop me so um I got kind of introduced to it pretty early on but what really did it was like um definitely like some friends and my wife specifically my wife's Japanese um like just the routines that I would see that really kind of took it to a deeper level and then like living here also Man, there's some really cool stuff. Like, when here's a small thing, right? When you get on the train, so like Tokyo is massive, massive. But when you get on the train, as soon as you start to hit the edge of the city, you're suddenly in farmland. Like when you're in when you're in 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 a lot of other places, you got to kind of get out a lot further to get where there's agricultural areas, right? But here, because land is more you know, it's harder to come by. There's, there's less, there's less land than in the United States. As soon as you get out, as soon as you're, as soon as you're outside the city, I mean, pretty close to the edge of the city, there's just rice fields and, and agriculture all around, yeah. you know? So like, that makes you also aware of the fact that like, where your food is coming from is not that far away from where you are, right? Like, it's not, it's not something that's some kind of like, these, 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 nothing against Chilean apples, but like these apples didn't have to come all the way from far away in South America and travel all the way to Illinois so that I could eat them in the summertime, even though they're out of season. Bang, bang. And, and how did they, you know, the process it took to get them to me? 
Right. They had to put it in, in, a, in, a, in a container with gas to hold it yeah. so that it doesn't lose its color yeah. and put wax around it. it. Yeah, they had to coat it. Coat it. Coat it. Just to get, you know, and then not only that, now, because all the children have only ever seen a coated apple, if you actually show them what a, just a regular looking apple from the tree looks like, that's dull and unappetizing. Yeah. Right? Or like it's not it's not perfectly round. Maybe grow a little oblong on the tree. And the, and the thing about it now is that I understand why my mom and my grandma, my auntie would say, "Wash wash your food off before you eat." Right. It. Right. right. But right. Now she said, I don't care if you got grab a banana, wipe it off. She yeah. was running under some uh, cold water before you eat it. Run the grapes under cold water before you eat it. Uh, and now, if you pass, I think if you pass any one of them. Some grapes now they won't eat it because they they don't have season. They won't eat it. Right, right. They won't right. touch it. Yo, and like you know what's crazy is to see how like the difference in the price of produce. So man, my produce is a lot more expensive. I'm not gonna yeah. lie, it's not cheap. Oh yeah, it's much more expensive. Shit, man. But but the quality is incomparable. Gotcha. You can't compare it. You can't compare it. So like. I might buy one big scallion and that one big scallion, I don't know, I don't know what prices are right now in the United States for, for vegetables, but like one big scallion during peak season might cost me here like 150 yen, like so that's like a dollar twenty-five. So like it's expensive for like one green onion, right? Yeah. But the quality, the taste, and the satisfaction that I get from that is is just I bet you it's totally different. And it's, it's coming cool. straight from the ground. And that, like eggs, eggs, chicken, man, pepper, dude, dude, <laughs> dude, dude, I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna tell you something that's gonna fuck you up, right? When I first came here to this country, I had no idea. I was out, we were eating dinner somewhere, and I was eating something. And I was like, this is this, this pork, what kind of pork is this? And they were like, that's not pork, that's chicken, wow. right? Wow. And I said, wait, what? And it's because the chicken here is all like, it's all running around. It's not that like pumped up with hormones shit, right? So it eats seed from the ground, you know, and it eats healthier feed. And it's, it's not that much more expensive. Actually, chicken's not so popular. So it's actually not that much more expensive. However, the way that it's been fed and treated, when you eat chicken, it's got flavor, like flavor that you don't know about I never knew about in the United States, right? And like, I mean, I always, who doesn't eat chicken, right? Everyone eats chicken or something. If you're, if, as long as you're not a vegetarian or vegan, you've probably eaten some chicken in your life. I never, it changed my perception of what chicken should taste like. Wow, wow. So, so what, what about in that case then, tell me about seafood. Would seafood be in the same vein or do you not eat seafood? I eat seafood all the time. I eat seafood more than anything else. Um, I mean, you know, uh, it's an island country. There's the bay is close to here. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about, of course, like sustainability and, and all kinds of like fishing practices, you know. And I know what's interesting here is um, they do eat a ton of fish, but at the same time, there's a lot of energy that goes into researching and developing new types of, um, you know, agricultural farming uh, and sustainability, but there's still some, there's still, it's not perfect, you know? However, um, when it comes to the health benefits, like 
you know, the whole thing about here we go back to plankton. Like this is something I learned when I was doing that series, like Tiny Oceans, all about plankton, right? So um, those really fundamental uh, oils that we need, right? Like the, the really good ones, right? Like the, um, the, the, what is it? The hot, the low density, not the low density lipids, the high density lipids, right? Those, those, those good fats, those come from the process of plants, you know, processing sunlight. And that inside the cells that do that, there's like an oil that is generated. So that like, that's why the fat from um, cows that eat grass is better from you, better for your body than the fat that if from cows that eat corn, right? Because eating that, eating that chlorophyll, that's better for you, right? So um, where it's most abundant is in blue-green algae. So the small fish that eat the blue-green algae are the ones that are the most nutritious for you, right? So like sardines, anchovies, herrings, all of that kind of stuff. Because those are the ones that are eating the smaller fish that are eating most directly the, 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 the plankton that is algae, blue-green algae, right? right. So right. like that's where you get your good nutrition. So um, if you're eating mackerel, a lot of the silver fish, the fishes that swim closer towards the surface of the water, the smaller ones that swim closer to the surface of the water, those are the ones where you're getting the most amount of nutrition, nutritional bang for your buck. The good, all the good fats, the good cholesterols, right? Like that's where that's coming from. So, um, you know, and that's, that's really, you find that here. I mean, you find it in so many different forms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You eat fish? You eating fish? Yeah, I like I like fish. Um, here I like perch. Um, yeah, I like yeah. bass. Um, what else? I like with a salmon or salmon. You know, I I like yeah. that. Um, what else? I said bass already. Uh, Did you like, ever get into sardines? Have you, ever really tried, have you ever tried sardines? Like, have you ever been able Man, to find Growing up, uh, we used to eat them out the can. Right. Then that's not bad for you, you know? Sardines are one of the better fish for your body. Because that's what I was wondering as I got older. But as I got older, I thought it was a bad idea because I was eating fish out of a can. Right. You know what I mean? So I was like, well, how could this could, how could this be healthy for me? You know, yeah. but um, that was it due depends to- depends on the sodium, but beyond that, the fish huh? itself and the oil, the, the sodium, it depends on how much sodium is in the can, right? Yeah, yeah. So if it's like super high in sodium, then that's not good for you. But when it comes to the actual oil, man, that's the best oil. Like that's the like that's the oil that we should be eating. Yeah, I remember growing up, my dad would open up some sardines and he would sit there and pick out the bone or whatever. And, and we would sit there and eat it with like crackers or something like that. So one of the things they would do here is like you're talking about salt packing fish, like you saw somebody salt packing fish, right? Yeah, yeah, he was curing it. I think that's what yeah. they call it, curing the fish. Yeah, yeah, so they sun cure fish here too. So they got shops where what they do is like, as soon as the fish comes in, they cut the fish, they flatten it, just butterfly that open and just leave it out in the sun. Put a little salt on it and put it out in the sun, right? And like, you'd think it would go bad, but it doesn't. Yes, I'm wondering. It doesn't go bad. That's what I'm if wondering. there's air circulating and you put a little salt on it, it doesn't go bad. Mm. So it's not like completely drying out because of the it salt. It dries out. And like after a day of drying out, you can take it in and you can put it in the oven for like 20 minutes, turns crispy, and then you eat it and it, that shit's divine. 
That sounds that sounds lovely. You know, and like simple, simple, simple. So it's interesting. Like that's, that's, that's the lovely, part, man. That's so true. like that's the part that I think like sometimes in America, here's like a big cultural thing, is like Americans always think like this country's kind of wacky, you know, like because of animation or you know, things they see like Japanese television or pop culture, they think this country's kind of like this wacky place, but uh, it's really not so crazy when you're here. Like it's really mundane, you know? I don't think so, and, but that's the thing, right? I was talking to some uh, some of my African buddies. The closer we got to each other, we started having those conversations. Right. And he was just like, when you grew up, what did they show you in Africa? So right. Told me villages and rundown places and everything. So I was like, he said, "Do you know there's more to Africa than that?" I was like, "I'm sure." I'm like, the way they make America seem is so glitz and glamour, but there's a, there's neighborhoods where it's fucked up. There's homeless people here. He said, "Exactly." He said, "But the image they paint for you guys, for you not to come to Africa, is that it's horrible, so you don't visit." We're all yeah. starving with with swollen bellies and flies all around us and everything like that. Yeah. So they, they started showing me pictures of one guy. So he was like, I'm from Cameroon. This is where I grew up. This is what it looks like in Cameroon. The other person's like, I'm from Ghana. This is what it looks like. Guy from Liberia. He's like, this is what it looks like. Like all these different people I was coming in contact with. And he was like, that's because it keeps you from thinking about going over here and, and finding out what this looks like. He said, but for us, we always were told that America was this awesome, wonderful place. And everybody, and you could make it big and everybody could do so well and everything. And you get here and you're like, hey, what the fuck is this? You know what I mean? So I think I think those, what, what do we call them? False narratives. Yeah. Uh, that they, that these perceptions that they give us are necessarily true. And, and for you, like you said, once you got there, you realize that it was, you know, this was better. Yeah. It's better. Yeah. The nutrition is, is better. The way people treat people is better. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, I think I'm sure it was a little bit of a culture shock, but you was like, no, this is fine. Yo, you know, it's funny that you say that because um, one of the big, so you asked me before, like if I had culture shock, there's a, there was a really weird one um, that uh, kind of was in the very beginning of when I got here. And now it's totally changed my perception of what is normal, which is like this. Nobody, not, not that nobody, but the chance of something getting stolen here is so minuscule, right? that kind of crime just like really doesn't exist here. So like, if you're riding, if you're riding your bike and you stop into the store, right? And you're like, all right, let me just put my bike, in front. I don't got a lock, let me just run into the store. You know, in America, if I, when I used to live in New York and Miami. So no, no. Not, not only that, not only that, like if I was, if I saw a bike like that in America, my first reaction, even though I wouldn't take it because I'm not a thief, but I would look at that and be like, damn, there's a free bike right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely, because you're like, yo, someone is stupid. Someone is, someone's going to come up on a bike. Yeah. Right? <laughs> someone so, is brave. Come, yeah. So, so, but, but like here, that is absolutely not it just doesn't happen. Like you just, you could, you run into the store, you leave your, you leave your car where it is. Um, you put a box of something down and you go to do something and like maybe it's a box of groceries. It'll be there when you get back. Nobody touched it. Nobody fucked with it. Like, yeah. you know. Uh, Isn't oh, that so different, work. man? It's just like. Yo, imagine this. That, you, you, it makes you wonder, are people really hurting that much here? 
where you know you, there's just a disregard for another person's belongings or things. So if you dropped your wallet on the subway here, yeah, right, money. You say you have a, a five hundred dollars and all your credit cards, and you dropped your wallet on the subway. It's almost guaranteed that within half an hour to an hour, you're going to get your wallet back with all of your things inside of it. Nobody touched it, nothing will be gone. Will it be there or will someone have turned it in? Not only will it be there, so let's say you realize like, oh, as you're going to get out of the train, oh, shit, I dropped it, I just got off this train. You go tell the, the, the station person, station person will have already worked out exactly where the train is the next train and the people on the train won't even touch it people don't they're not they will not have touched it or if they did touch it wow. they want to go take it to somebody so that you could get it back that's fucking crazy man so like so like like i'm not saying i'm now please don't mistake me i'm not saying that bad things don't happen and there's not theft human nature of course there are some people that will commit crime because that is part of being human however that like if i was in new york or if i was somewhere else and i dropped my wallet and i got it back and maybe if i, I would be lucky if my driver's license was in it man name whoever finds it like oh look at god yeah right right exactly <laughs> some of them, some, they're like, yo, look at God. You know, God's like, work yes. in mysterious yeah. ways. You know yeah. what I mean? That wallet be gone, bro. But oh. and I know that for a fact because somebody took my wallet. You know, yeah, I had like three hundred dollars in it, and I learned my lesson. Yeah. Listen, yeah. let me say this: I don't do that. And the one time I did, I got, I got, I got hit. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I had to do the whole credit cards uh, switch. I had to do all that update my information, turn it, you know, oh, it was, it was a mess, man. It was a mess. And I'm not even worried about the credit cards. Don't even care. It's the cash I had in that fucking wallet. Cause I was trying to do some stuff and I knew I, and some told me like, yo, you haven't walked around with cash on you like this in years because of what could possibly happen. Right. You are not being safe and $300 is gone. When you live in a society though, where people just don't fuck around like that, you really quickly like so at first like I would I was I would walk by a convenience store or somewhere like here and I would see like a bike parked out and I would look, I would still have that thought to myself like ha, 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 free bike you know, and then like after a while though like I realized like no that that bike's safe no one's gonna fuck with it or like. Whoever just dropped there, whoever just dropped something and, and, the, and the station worker just hopped on the train to grab it and carry it off to that person or like somebody fell down and everybody like just instantly like tried to help them out or like the more that I started seeing that type of behavior, yeah. the more that like I was like, shit. And, and, and it's a reminder that. of where you are and the respect level of the people that are around, right? And, and and that like, man, like I maybe I'm not I'm not, I'm not maybe I'm not from here, but I want to make sure that this value of society, like I'm not contributing to it going downwards. Like I want to contribute to like if somebody falls, I'm gonna be there to pick them up. So that's a fact. And, and why wouldn't you want to be? Because you see something so great happening yeah. that you want to be a part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting thing, man. That's a very interesting thing. It's how things change.
you know, how again. society changes us. How yeah. society changes us. Yeah. Yeah. So we that has have, to be a dope experience, though, man. I'm I'm so happy for you to thank you be where you are, to be in a position that you're in. Um, I remember that one year I was there at school, seeing seeing you and everyone else trying to piece their life together and uh, building networks and friendships and and being able to go through those times. Man, it's just dope to see how everybody's living their life and and doing well. I had no idea that you were married, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. How long have you been married? Seven, eight, eight years now. Eight years. Eight years? Shit, man. Eight years. Jesus. Eight years. It's? No. We can't. We don't, we don't have that. That's not biologically. No? Okay. My, my wife, she can't. She can't, so. Okay, but sorry. That's all right, because actually, interestingly, though, um, part of the reason that... <laughs> I was very happily single, well into my 30s, with no intention of being married. Listen, you're talking to a guy that has in, enjoyed it, you know what I mean? And, and it's not to say that I don't want to be married or uh, involved with anybody, but I think you know me well enough to know that I'm not a man that plays games. Right, right. I'm not a man that plays games. And because there's a lot going on out here, I don't have to play games. Right. I, I can be very straightforward. I can be very honest. I can tell you certain things and, and keep on moving. Uh, if, if, if it's going to be real, it has to be real. It has to be 100%. Because if I give 100%, I want 100% back. But if it's not going to be that, then I, look, I don't have time to be playing around with you. You know, <laughs> if, you, if you think this is double dutch where you're going to jump in and jump out, I tell you what, you go do that with some other sucker and I'm going to go over here and just have my fun. Because I, I, I like to have fun, you know. Yeah. I work yeah. hard enough to make sure that I can afford the things that I can afford and more. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, I understand. Like, I I, I, did, I didn't even know you. I'm like, man, he out here living a, a great life. He in Tokyo, you know what I mean? And living. and Because I, I never heard you say anything about that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I never heard you speak anything about being settled down or having a, having a wife or anything like that. Never heard you. I don't, cause you know what it is? Like, I don't, I've never been somebody who feels the need to show off, right? Like even when we were in school, like that was never, I never needed to ever, I, you know, I've always, I don't, I just don't want, for what? You know what I'm saying? Like, let, like, I guess maybe, I guess maybe because I'm an artist, I've always felt like let the work that I do speak for what I believe. I got you. I, I hear you. I got a, I, I, I did, I did an interview with someone just like that. You say, man, I don't be posting none of the shit I do, man. Cause I'm doing it. I don't have to sit around and, and post none of this stuff. Like I'm doing it. Like, well, yeah. He said, the other thing was, he said, I don't want to post anything. And out of me trying to show what I'm doing and how proud I am of what I'm doing or trying to be inspirational in the process, someone takes it the wrong way. And it right. takes the wrong turn on what I'm trying to do. And I said, I understand that because I tried to do something like that. And it went, it, it turned up uh, down on me. I was like, and, and I told him, but we have to have an understanding of people in general. Like the neighborhoods that we grew up in, mm -hmm. these types of people mm -hmm. don't really understand that it's okay to win. It's okay for us to be successful. It can't, it don't have to just be one person. Groups of us and hordes can win and we can pull people up and we can do things like that. But I definitely get it. I understand my bro. I understand my guy. If 
you didn't want to post it, you don't have to post it. But for me, it's all it's all new shit because I, I had no idea. Sure. And then also, like, you know, to be honest, some of that has to do with like my wife has always completely avoided social media. I don't blame her. I don't blame her. She does not, I think maybe only has a Twitter account because of her job, not because of she wants any interest. Yeah. You know? So so for that reason, like anything that we do, like that's between us. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. No. Uh, and, and I don't know if you're like me, but I'm an introvert, man. I'm an introvert. So hmm, I don't know. I love people. You know? I, I, yeah, that's cool. But I like I like my shit to myself. Like mm-hmm. I don't, you know, my family can come over, my friends can come over. If someone, one of you guys say, Hey, I'm in town, I want to catch up with you. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's link up. And they say, No, I'm on the south side, I'm in Hyde Park, I just stop by. Cool, come over. But everybody can't do that with me. Because no. I, I, I fuck, fuck people sometimes, you know? Well, I mean, probably in that regard, I've, I've definitely, I think I'm a little more protective of my space and energy than like back during college, right? Like during college, woo, you know, whatever, like hang out with this person, hang out with that person. And now I'm much more interested in like the same thing. You know what? I'm interested when people have something to talk about. Or when people, like, I don't want, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying before, it's important to be compassionate. I, I do believe that 100%. But I don't want to hang out with people who's, who are going to, you know, you know, you know about, like, I don't want to hang out with wicked people. And when, what I mean by that is not, it's not necessarily evil, right? Like, w- being wicked and being evil are, like, different things, right? So, like, wicked is, like, is somebody might not necessarily realize that they're being wicked, but, like, Wicked is like they're taking something from you, but they don't even necessarily know that they're doing it all the time. Some people do know that they're wicked and do so intentionally, but like somebody, you might have a friend that always needs something, right? Because they can't get their shit together. And like, you know, every time you see them, it's like it, it, it t- requires your energy, you know? And then you might have another friend who, d- who does legitimately need stuff but they're trying to put their shit together. And as a human being, like for me, I want to help that person out. And I'm willing to allow that person to, I I would rather invest my energy into that person who's trying to figure it out. And maybe they make mistakes, but man, they're working on it. I I agree with that. I agree with that, but I will not be an enabler or a crutch to anyone who doesn't want to do anything for themselves. I will not do that. I did it before and the person went around telling people that I didn't look out for them and I left them out and to, to, I left them high and dry and all that. And it was just, this, it was this big old misunderstanding amongst people that I actually respected. And when they started taking this person's side, man, it had me so pissed off and so thrown off guard that I didn't, you know, I was just like, I don't need none of this shit. I don't, right. I don't need none of this shit. And right. then, but what it does is it, it kind of pushes you away from helping people for me at the time to help it from helping anybody else. But then I realized is that that one instance doesn't speak for everybody else. It was that person is a piece of shit. They didn't want to do anything. They wanted someone else to, to, to hunt for them, to fish for them, to clothe them, to put them in a a place where they can stay. They didn't want to do anything for themselves. 
So right. the next person I told, I told them, said, hey, look, I will help you. However, you have to put forth more effort than I am willing to give out. I have to see it. Like, you have to show me that this is what you want. And those people, I totally, like, I'm with that. I'm totally with that. But I am not with someone who just wants to be a slouch and a bomb, and they want someone to fucking carry them. I'm, I'm not carrying you. I can't do it. You know, there's like a magnetism in the world, right? Like um, those kind of people feed off of other people that are that way too. And they, they, they enjoy, there's some aspect, some component of them that enjoys being able to disrupt those that have a different type of energy. Yeah. Right? So like, like that, that behavior, like the, the fact that you're not that way so that by disrupting you, that feeds and 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 benefits that negative energy you know but you know what i I, i've learned from that is if it goes bad just leave it at what it is right right separate yourself and just leave it i don't have to talk about you i don't have to say nothing because to to say anything about i give you more energy than needs to be than than there should be and and i speak life into a situation that i i i I would naturally just reject you know So th- those are the things that I learned about that. But those, like you said, those people exist. Um, they have a certain energy, and they could they they attract those same types of people around them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and all get together, and they say some of the most ignorant, uh, disdain, right. hateful, hateful things, you know. But they never do anything to make sure that the, that they could do the, do better for themselves. They'll blame everybody else for their failure. And and. Um, you know, they, those generally are also the people that don't recognize um, success is not necessarily like, uh, is not only the type of success that, that you see on television, right? We define yeah. success, right? We define success. Right, right. And that, that, that they will downplay your success. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, to benefit their own wickedness. But that's just insecurity, isn't it? Of course, of course, of course, of course, right? Like, so so I always say like greed is is kind of like this, this, this is the demon, right? Like this demon of like why there's so much polarization of wealth and whatnot in our society and why it's so hard to, um, change these systems that are so systematically um, having negative repercussions on us all, right? Um, on the broader society. Uh, and, and, and it's not only greed, really. It is because really when you go down what is the source of greed, it's insecurity. Yeah, yeah. You're hiding behind something. Right, and accumulation. Like whatever, whatever you feel insecure about, you want to accumulate kind of like the opposite value of that, right? So like if you're if if like if you're insecure about you know not having enough money, then like you could be hyper focused on wanting to make money, right? Um, whatever that that thing is. I was right? listening to I was listening to Mike Tyson talk about it, right? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, you, you see, you probably know where I'm going. Mike, no, I'm not sure, but I'm curious yeah, because yeah, I was sure. I mean, that dude always Mike has Tyson interesting take. Mike Tyson said, you guys thought I was the biggest, baddest motherfucker on the planet. He said, the whole time I was scared. He said, I was insecure. Right. 
that was insecure the whole time. He said, y'all thought I was the biggest, baddest motherfucker out, out there. He said, and I was in the ring. Right. Outside of the ring, I was still this little guy from the neighborhood who got picked on and all this other stuff. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Now, I still wouldn't fuck with Mike. I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I didn't, by no means would I ever try to say, what's up, motherfucker? I would never do no shit like that. Because nah. I know there's death coming with that. Right. Or the worst ass whooping of, 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 of I've ever I've ever had. I know that, but in that he was, you know, he, he was letting you know that, hey, there's still some insecurity. Like I'm still this kid from 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 Brooklyn that got picked on, that had his money took, that, that, that people took my pigeons from me. I'm still that kid. But when I'm in that ring, I'm the bad, I am the baddest motherfucker on the planet. And I can't, I can't fucking crush your skull. He's he you know he's a pretty I think he's a pretty inspiring individual. And he not, is man. He is. Not, I don't know. I don't know how people don't listen to him and and understand the uh, I get what is it the poetry of life or the 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 the, the multi layers to life. You know the good, yeah. the bad, the ugly. And like and and he's that we were talking about like you know being unafraid to be uh, in pain or to show like you know those vulnerable emotions, but man. Like um, Tyson is amazing when you listen to him talk because he owns his vulnerability, right? Like, like, I mean, I guess if if you're one of the baddest motherfuckers to ever fight in a boxing ring, like, you know, you can find you can find a certain um, a certain confidence even if you're because we also have vulnerability. So so I hope that that's part of where his his confidence comes from because the way that he talks about his vulnerability I think is fascinating you know and like I love listening to that dude talk like he is so like people made fun of him I remember all the way back going back to when he was fighting because you know he has a lisp and he has kind of a high-pitched voice and whatever but if you just listen to the dude he's very profound individual you know yeah and I think that was taken for granted so uh for so many years was because we were looking at the baddest motherfucker on the planet yeah yeah no one was talking to mike i seen i seen another conversation where they were talking about him in islam uh-huh. and he was like so you found islam while you were in prison he was like i was muslim before i got in before i went to prison they were like what he's like i was already a muslim before i went in i was already a part of that that was already me he said, the people that knew me knew that that's, that was something I already believed in. He said, but what y'all saw, what they were showing y'all was some other shit. You ain't right. guys didn't see me praying or no shit like that. Right. You know, and it's crazy because, again, false narratives, false right. perceptions, right? Right. It tell us that perception is reality. And then in fact, that's not necessarily the truth, you know? It's a lie because what a person may give you on the first time you meet them, they may be having a bad day. They could be having a bad fucking day. Right. You know, so listening mm-hmm. to Mike, man, you get so much insight on all the things that, you know, now for years that we never got to hear about how he was thinking. You know what I mean? Now how he talks about his how he talks about his wife. It's like, man, without her, man, like I will I will lose my shit. I will lose I will fucking lose my shit. Like I would probably fucking hurt somebody. I would probably fucking hurt somebody really bad. Cause he was saying, you know, he, he was, uh, I think he said he was heavy on Coke at one point, you know? And when he got himself together, his wife, you know, uh, she was always there the whole time. But 
listening to him talk about his life, man, if you don't hear the stuff that he's saying and how blunt he is, like, yeah. just, just, like yo, yo I, was a, I was a horrible person. I was just like a piece of shit, man. Yeah, yeah. And like, and like that's the part, like, that's the part, like, you know, we, we have to find, like, you know, forgiveness or like, you know, give people a room to make mistakes and to find redemption and to improve themselves. And so like, I think, I think like that's kind of the beauty is like, there's so many things that we could find to say this dude's only a killer or that dude was a rapist at one point in time or that dude bit somebody's ear off or, you know, there's so many things, but then to hear him talk about it, like he's able to address like, yeah, I was a bad dude. Like I did bad shit, you know, like how, you know, he doesn't make excuses. Right, like to to hear him even break down the whole rape thing. He was like, "I never even touched. I never did that to that woman." Yeah, like I don't, and, and you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not even talking about. I'm not talking about the rape. Like I don't know anything other than what was in the news, right? Correct. Like, I, like, I just you don't be myself, and I'm probably wrong for even saying it, but I just don't think he did it. I yeah, like he did it. I, I think at that at that point, and and maybe. Maybe so. Maybe there's a chance that it could have been if we play a 50 50. You're 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 high on the ladder, right? You have all this success. You're the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Who will reject you? Right. You right. understand what I'm saying? Right. So you see right. a lot Absolutely. of athletes that Absolutely. go through that. You can see a lot of athletes go through that shit. Like this bitch rejected me. Bitch, come over. You know what I mean? And that, and that, those type of situations happen. So right. maybe it could have went that way. But I just feel like for a guy who's like that. All these women throwing it at him, I kind of go, yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Yeah, it don't. I, I know some guys who play uh, semi-pro football, and they told mm-hmm. me some stories, but I was like, whoa, really? And he was like, dude, it's everywhere. So he said, so if if that's happening, how do you get to a point where someone is saying that you rape? Like, why? When it's yeah. everywhere. Yeah, everywhere exactly. 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 Like all of those stories are always the same, right? Like those are always, that story is always the same. Like what happened with Kobe Bryant, right? Tupac. Yeah. Like those stories are always the same, right? And like you said, it's like someone trying to control the narrative, right? And, 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 and why? It begs the question, why? Young guys who play professional sports still to this day. Yeah. They were like, man, ain't that shit's everywhere. That's every is at every game, it's at every hotel, it's there. So we not if if we not worried about that, you know, it, it's plentiful, you know. So it's like, all right, my God, just be safe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Be of safe, course. you know. But yeah, the poetry, the poetry of it, man. Listening to Mike talk, um, it's a beautiful thing. I, I. I if, if I were you, I would tell, no, if I were me, I would tell you to watch the interview he has with Sugar Ray Leonard. Ah, uh, when was it? When, when, when was that interview? How long ago did they make Seven it? Seven months to a year ago. Oh, so relatively recent. Seven months to like a year ago. Him and Sugar Ray are sitting down and they're having a conversation. Uh-huh. He tells him like, yo, you, you and Muhammad Ali, I think he said you, him and Muhammad Ali were just him was a reason why he boxed. He said, cause you were beautiful. He's like, he was a beautiful boxer. He's like, there, there was no, he said, Ray, it was nothing like you, man. Yeah, and then yeah. Ray starts to open up about his life. 
and he starts to talk about his life. And then Mike starts to get emotional and then he goes into, you gotta, you gotta check it out though. I'm gonna check it out. Oh man, yeah. I think if, if there's anything else that you're gonna check out as far as the podcast goes or you get on YouTube, you have to check that out. And I will. You know, Tyson, when he gets emotional, it, you know, it comes out because he can't talk. You know, his voice gets, you know, it gets weak and everything. So yeah. he's choking, you know what I mean? Like he's dealing with his emotions, but it's crazy, man. That's a guy I just wouldn't fuck with, man. But you know what I think is interesting is that like, I think he's the kind of dude that if you were in a situation where you're having a conversation with him, like he would be as honest as they come too. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and that like, I, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm naive to believe that, but just based on everything I've ever seen about that dude, like, I don't think, I actually don't think he's, I don't think there's anything to fear there because if, if, you ever meet like well for me because if I ever met that dude I would just be kind of like you're a pretty inspiring motherfucker <laughs> like that's yeah, all I can say when I when I when I saw him the one time I briefly saw him like oh. you, you looked at him and, and it was just like you understood because I grew up around guys that were like Mike and you looking at him and you're going yeah you you don't fuck with nobody like that right you just don't fuck with him you know what I mean and, and if you if you're that stupid then you're gonna get you're gonna get what's coming to you but Hearing him talk, huh? Not the same level, not the same level. But do you know who used to sit behind me in English class when I was in high school? Uh, Kevin Ferguson, AKA Kimbo Slice. Really? Yeah, really, really, really. I went to school with Kevin Ferguson. Right? Wow. And like, and he was a beast in high school, right? And I did not know. And I was friendly with the dude. You know what I mean? Like, we used to crack jokes in class together. You know, like, there's, and people were afraid of him. And, like, I, I didn't fear him because I knew he could crush me. So there's no, you know what I'm saying? Like, so there's no, there's no, there's no reason for me to fear somebody that I know stands on a different level than where I'm standing. Right? And I always felt that way. Like, I just... I didn't fear the dude when a lot of other people feared him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so for that reason, like actually he and I kind of joked around and he was kind of somebody that, that we were cut up in class together, right? Yeah. And um, actually it was really funny, but I remember specifically, like I, I wasn't, I've never been like a big UFC or like, you know, I like boxing, but I don't particularly care for some of the mixed martial arts. Like I, I prefer like just straight, like if it's going to be kickboxing is okay, or if it's going to be boxing, it's all right. But I never really got into UFC. And I remember kind of when he blew up, I didn't really realize until I was reading a newspaper story, like I would see his picture and he looked different, you know, like he didn't have a big bushy beard when, when he was in, 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 in what, 11th grade? You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so I remember like reading this article and like, I would hear this name, Kimbo Slice all the time. And it was like 10, you know, 10 years ago, like, you know, rest in peace, Kimbo Slice. But, um, um, and I remember just reading an article one time and I was like, Kimbo Slice, uh, you know, and in parentheses next to it, the name Kevin Ferguson. And I was like, and, and I knew he was from Miami. So suddenly I realized like, holy shit, I gotta go back and Google this, right? And then I like uh, immediately pieced it together. Like, oh, he went to, he was at my, like, I went to the same, I went to high school with this guy. Like, this is, this is the same guy. Did he play sports back in high school? 
Yeah, of course. He played football. Football, okay. And you know who else went to school with us? Rowan Marley. Who? Rowan Marley, Bob Marley's son. Bob Marley? Bob Marley's son, Rowan, yeah. Shit, man. The one who was married to Lauren Hill. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Rowan Marley was there too. So was, all these people were at the same high school in South Miami in 1991, 92. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you see, you know, those people that you know can eat you, you know, there was an old joke. There's this old joke I remember. It was on Saturday Night Live many years ago, right? And um, somebody was, was supposed to be uh, uh, Frank Sinatra and somebody else was supposed to be Billy Idol, right? And Billy Idol's kind of acting like a punk. And the guy who's Frank Sinatra looks at him, he's like, calm down, I got chunks of guys bigger than you in my stool. You know, like, like, like the point being like, there's, there's always a bigger shark in the sea than you. Yeah. You know, and Let's like- say it that way. Yeah, it is a joke, it was a joke, but like, I always thought of that, like, like, you know, when you're fucking with other people, remember, even when I was a kid, like I don't fuck with anybody now, but, but not this not in good nature. But but like that always occurred to me, and like seeing people like that and knowing people like like Kevin Ferguson definitely definitely put that in context. Yeah, uh, like I like I said, man, growing up, you see a lot of it, and the difference of um, for me growing up, like you could tell who was who, right? And if it wasn't just about looking at the person. It was the actions of the person. Yeah. You know, they, they carried themselves with a certain amount of respect. And the guy who wasn't really talking about what he was talking about was always loud. Just loud right. for no fucking reason, right? right? Like they, they was always boasting and bragging something about something, right? Because there were insecurities the whole time. But if you pressed them, a certain percentage of them, oh, they always folded up. They always folded up like a, like a lawn chair. They always folded up. And I would sit there and look at him like, why do? Why would you even go out your way to do that, knowing that you could get yourself hurt? You just want to be the biggest. You just want to be the loudest person in the room for no reason. Well, it's the insecurity thing, man. It's but the that's the insecurity thing. about it, right? Like you're yeah. wrestling with that. But from from listening to the to the to, to the older guys that would tell me, it was like, don't ever be like that. Always be the quietest person. Right, right, right. Say nothing. If you don't have nothing to say, say nothing. You say, right. because people will respect that. If you don't have nothing to say, you don't say nothing. And you only speak when you need to be speak, when you need to speak or when you're spoken to. That's it. And, and you would watch how they carry themselves, how they would move. And you're like, yo, like, I, I get it. I get it. And then you would see how the, the clowns do it. And you see how they, boop, 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 boop. they got, you know, they got to have a whole circus going on. And you're like, oh, I get it now. I get it, but yeah, salute to Mike Tyson, you know, God, God, God bless the dead, Kimbo Slice. Um, yeah. I, I, I know I know that was kind of different when you saw him, like, yo, I went to high school with this fucking guy. Dude, dude, like, it was it was kind of shocking. It was for real, like, and, and then, like, the funny thing is, like, you know, of course, because he became an identity, right? Like, so... He always had kind of like that, you know, like how he appeared, like wearing, didn't he always have like a chain around his neck, you know, and like, um, but even in high school, he had a presence, okay, not an identity, a presence, 
Corey um, Masvidal is from down there too, correct? Is it? I don't know. I don't know. He's another UFC fighter, and you don't pay attention to UFC, but he was yeah. a dude that was backyard brawler, you know. So yeah, 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 yeah. Because he's a bad fucking dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, I think it's interesting, like the point that you're just making, right? Like, because I think um, it goes back to the kind of political environment of the moment, which is like, is like the people who don't have to show off and the people who do have to show off are very different breeds, right? And I feel as if, you know, hopefully in a couple of days, there'll be an election and, and things will change a bit. Not a bit, but things will fucking change. Um, but I feel as if the person who has been the president of the United States squarely falls within the category of types of people that you have just described the archetype for, right? Absolutely. And, <clears throat> Absolutely. And, um, it reminds me, because we're talking about like high school, like talking about Kimbo Slice in high school, like I was picked on a lot in high school. So it's funny, like I was picked on a lot because maybe I, I'm, I was insecure and I was awkward and whatever and, and fine, so be it. But what's interesting is like now when I think about it, like I was friendly with guys like Kevin Ferguson because I had nothing to prove. So to the biggest fish in the sea, like I could hang out. Like I was not, I was not the person that posed any kind of threat, right? And, the, and so, so I didn't have to prove myself to them. So they didn't take me as somebody who was, you know, anything to fuck around with except to be friendly. And for him, it was, okay, you cool. I can be around you. Right. I don't right. have to worry about nothing popping off with you. Right. So the the relationship, the fellowship is easily developed because of that, because right. there is nothing going on. So now here's the funny thing. The types of people that you describe that 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 have to show off and have to be loud, those were the kinds of people that that when I was a kid, I got bullied horrendously by, right? So in a way, in saying that, um, what I see from the president of the United States, I really do feel as even though I'm outside the United States, but watching how that behavior has um, informed and directed the presidency of the United States, I feel as it like this reminder of what it was like to be bullied when I was in junior high school. And I feel like I feel like I feel like I watch. I've been watching people that I love and care about, and in in the world, not only the United States, but of course, especially the United States, be sort of like bullied by the situation, and that the people also that choose to go along with it, aside from the racism and the white supremacy and the bullshit. But the people, like you strip even away those the, the, that part, which is like impossible to strip away. But when you look still just at the behavior. The, like like, it would, like their children, the people that also follow that are the same people that played the game and followed behind the bullies when we were in high school and junior high school too. So they wouldn't get bullied. Right, so they wouldn't get bullied. So, so they, they wouldn't get bullied. Absolutely, absolutely. And I was a guy at certain points who if I saw the bully and I knew I could whoop the bully, I will whoop the bully. I will whoop the bully because I was like, oh, I know what you're doing. And I was told at a young age to recognize that. Like, oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. I know right. what you're doing. You're picking on people to prove a point. 
but you're not really proving a point. You're picking on people who don't know how to defend themselves. And if right. they knew how, they would throw a chair at your fucking face. Right. right. They wouldn't take that type of shit. So me, being the type of guy that I was, I was like, okay, cool. I know what that is. I know how to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how to do with that. Hit him right in the, hit him right in the face. Hit yeah. him right in the face. You ain't got to hit him as hard as you can, but just hit him. Hit him. And the See, next was, moment he step up, you hit him again, and then he, they go away. And, and I, I, I believe in a more confrontational me- mentality now, but I, like I said, I was raised by hippies, right? So, like, everything that I was taught was, like, you know, avoid physical conflict. Yeah. Like, avoid conflict. So I was aware of the psychology of what was going on, but I didn't understand the value of, even if it was just a symbolic hit them in the face. Yeah. I was, you know, like I was non-confrontational. Just to stand up to him. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like I didn't, I didn't understand how to do that. And actually, even though I don't have children, I would, if I had children, that is one thing that I would change. No offense to my parents, but that is one thing that, you know, I would definitely instill in people younger than me, which is that when a bully, when there is a bully, a situation with a bully, they need to be called out and dressed the fuck down. And and whether it's physically punched in the face or whether it's metaphorically punched in the face, those people need to be dressed down and made to look foolish because riding on your ego is not the same as being able to walk the walk. And and it's crazy because, you know, like like we were saying, there are people who follow the bully because they don't want to get bullied. Right. So they stand behind them. It's just like, none of y'all got no type of balls to stand up to. Right, a, right, right, right. He's a, no. a chump. That's the one thing. I might not have been confrontational, but I would never, ever compromise my values, ever. Yeah, yeah but, mm-hmm. but, but my guy, there are those who will do that. They will right, of stand. Listen, I know what my character is and I'm not going to compromise my integrity over all things just to go along with some bullshit. Like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. You know what I mean? But there are those who don't have the nah, integrity, integrity the morals or the values. So they'll go along with whatever the fuck is being passed in front of them. So I have a question. I have a question, right? This is kind of a hypothetical question. Okay. Um, So we know, we know right now that something like 36 to 38% of the populace of the United States still supports like the bully that's sitting in the presidency, right? Still supports that orange asshole, right? Do you think, do you think that, because we know that those people were in high school too, do you think that that percentage is also the same percentage of little like motherfuckers in school that followed the bully? They don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, does it still break down? Is it really, you know, like, I think it's probably that ratio, that percentage. Yeah, I, think, I, think, really, I think you, I think you, you would be on to something. Cause I think a lot of them would just be a part of that. I think know, like, would be a part I, of that. Like, I think that those are exactly like, it's yeah. no different. And not to speak in, any negativity on anyone, but I think a part of them would be a part of it. I think a part, yeah, yeah. I think that's, yeah, you, you right. Like yeah. whatever that percentage is. Like I don't know, we, we don't know the percentage, but I bet you, I bet you they got picked on looks, or yeah. they stood behind the bully to make sure that they didn't get picked on. The bully beat them up and they got behind the bully and said, I don't want to get beat up no more. You already beat me up. I'm just going to hide behind you from now on. 
I wonder also if you took a sampling, like if you took a uh, hundred people that were not aware of that kind of sociological experimentation and introduced that type of behavior of bullying and, and, and uh, you know, you put one alpha bully, not alpha, but an alpha bully, right? In, in an environment with a certain number of people and would you still break down to have a similar number of followers like that 36 to 38 percent range like would it still work out to be that you know it would still be it would still be the same thing and it probably would be worse if the person is actually you know an aggressive person it would be the same thing or more if they're an actual aggressive person it would change it would change change drastically you if they really meant to do people harm it would change yeah yeah because then it becomes like munchausen syndrome right yeah like that's a whole nother level yeah. Um, or not Munchausen, uh, um, Munich, right? Like that, that people exposed to abuse, defend the abuser. Stockholm syndrome. Right, right, right. Stockholm syndrome. Go. I got you. Okay. Um, yeah. Yep. And like, yeah. you know, the same thing, like that's what happened. That's what happened in Germany, right? Like that's what there wasn't. Hitler was not actually widely supported, right? Like he. But it took the right people. He got the right people behind him. Well, the same thing. I mean, you know, I'm not saying I'm not. Trump is a racist and he is a fascist, but. But there are those you can't tell you. You can't tell them that he's a racist. I'm dead serious. There are people that go, yo, he's not a racist. He hasn't said anything racist. Yeah. Do say now, you know what? It's it's always the same thing. Right. And and did you did you watch? Because after I talked to you, it was it was last week. So in between, there was that last debate did you happen to watch any of that you know i'm gonna answer no i did not watch the second it's all right it's all right it's all right, it's all right. Oh. i mean i can't I, I didn't i didn't watch it with with intent right or with 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 focus but um he he did say that he was he was the least racist president and that um he he said that uh he's done the most since for black people since Abraham Lincoln. Okay. And I, when I say, okay, I'm not saying that because I agree with, it. I'm just saying, all right. Right, right, right. I'm saying it as I, yeah, whatever, fuck that. Uh, and, and just so anyone knows, Abraham Lincoln didn't do anything for black people. That was a business decision. Right, and, yeah, and absolutely. The Emancipation Proclamation for black people or whatever the fuck it was, had nothing to do with being nice. He did that shit no. because it was a business decision. It was right. to make sure that the North won and the South didn't. That's Absolutely. all that shit was about. So fuck y'all for thinking that that shit is is is, is real and that motherfucker loved black people. If right, he right, kept right. us oppressed, he would have. Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, and if Douglas hadn't been there, if there were a lot of factors that were not in play, that dude would not have done what he did. And to also, he never started out. He never started out on that on that level. That was never where he was about ever. No, not at all. And to also, well, fuck, I forgot what I was going to say about that. Uh, but all those guys, all those presidents, they owned slaves. They had they had uh, black women that they had maids, and they were they were in a back barn or whatever. They were raping them all, man. They were doing all that crazy stuff to them. So I'm not hearing nobody talk some bullshit about some some white man who allegedly set black people free. He ain't said no fucking black people. Read that was a fucking business decision. Know your yeah. fucking history, not what they telling you, 
Not what they teaching you, but the actual fucking facts, man. That shit's way different from what you know. Like, that's, again, the false narrative, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, man. In school, and the reason why I kind of get upset about stuff like that is because in school, we was taught that shit. When I did the research on it, and I came back and I showed it to the teacher, they threw that shit in my face and told me I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. Right, 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 right. I, I went and told my auntie, like, yo, these motherfuckers, yo, I can't go to this school. They crazy. Right. I know. I know. Look, I got kicked out of high school two times, right? I had to go to three different high schools. And like, and, and not because I was, not because I cared so much. Well, in fact, because I was frustrated with what I felt like was a waste of my fucking time. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And, and, and that's an exact, that's the exact example. That's the exact example. That shit, man, that shit, I would be going to school, man. They would be sitting there in there teaching us history, bro. And they would teach us about 10 minutes of Africa. Right. And everything else was like just glorified, you know, Caucasian. You're just like all Caucasian people shit. And I'm sitting there like, we invented all the basic shit that y'all use, man. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even to this day, yeah. even to this fucking day, even the very basic fucking alphabet that everybody used comes from fucking black people, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would yeah. be sitting in class like, yo, this is some bullshit. They got yeah. us in here talking about, and y'all would look at the other kids, they would be praising Abraham Lincoln. I'm like, fuck Abraham Lincoln, man. Right, right. Just complete man, unawareness. No black people. Matter of fact, if y'all want to go back, go look at what Frederick Douglass was going through at that time. Right. They, they, make, they make him seem like this is a person they love. They fucking hated him, man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even even King for that matter, right? Like, let's not forget, like, my God. Right? Listen, George Washington Carver showed Ford and them how to mass produce cars. Right. He was the one that showed them how to do that shit. Right, right. We are under the assumption that he didn't do nothing. He the one that told y'all that soy was bad for you. He gave y'all peanut butter and all this other shit. And then they cut the man dick off. They cut the man dick off, bro. Now, we was, we were just, like, I mean, I, I had studied George Washington Carver after getting out of school, but I don't know the latter part of his life. It's a, it's a, it's a bunch of wild shit. Everybody that loved drinking liquor, you love mm-hmm. drinking look, look, look up, uh, what's his name? Nearest Green. That was mm-hmm. the master brewer for Jack Daniels. All right? right? That guy. Look that fucking guy up. Right. That was the master brewer. All right? right. So, it, it, man, I would be sitting in class, and, and, and I don't want to go on a tangent, but that, that shit would, be, would fucking no. stir me the fuck up, man. It would bother the fuck. And I would go home, and I got my mom. She, why you can't pass history class? I'm like, because they ain't teaching us history. They lying. Right. They're telling us bullshit all the fucking time. And I got to go in there and act like it's okay. And the one young lady who was smarter, she's smarter than me. She was like, dude, you got to shut the fuck up. <laughs> right. like, you, we not here. We, we know. She's like, you know. she's like, you're not the only one in the room that know. She's like, I'm going to tell you this. You're not the only person in the room that know, but we here to pass this fucking class. I'm going to get my A. You're going to fucking fail. And I was like, I'd rather fail than, than some motherfuckers keep lying to me. Telling me where I come from, and I don't—I I don't come from no fucking slave ship. 
I think there's there, there are so many levels where when we are taught, because I love history, right? And there are so many, there are so actually what I love is the anthropology because the history, the way that history is taught is fucked up. But um, like, I think that there's so many levels, especially when it comes to the history of Africa that we are in, in America and not only in America, in the world is just, it's not even touched on, man. Like it's just not even touched on. Like, no, it's not. It's not the like, very computers that we use, the laptops we use, the phones that we use. Sixty percent of the minerals that are minerals are all yeah, I know. Coming from Africa, yeah. Everything yeah. they rape and pillage. They still raping and pillage that country, that the continent. I'm sorry, continent. The continent. Because yeah. it's fifty-four countries within the continent. But yeah, but um, let's let's get off that because I'll we'll be here all night. <laughs> um and my, my you know my blood pressure would be so fucking high I'd pass out in here you know but, but, like, no I, I know and I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to I don't necessarily want to um I don't want to cause that reaction for you no. I do though I do though actually genuinely have a lot of interest and curiosity in like um in African history and the kingdoms of Africa prior to uh, the time of uh, the medieval, you know, the 14th century, right? Prior to the, the 16th century, especially once the, the, that triangle trade route started to happen. All right. um, you can pick up a book know? about Moors in Spain. It explaining you. Yeah. Know, Spain and Europe, they had nothing. Black people went over there and civilized oh, yeah. Spain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, if it weren't for, if it weren't for the technology in regard to moving water around, right? Like that's what actually helped the Spaniards out more than anything, right? Was that like during the Alhambra, right? When they started building fountains and bringing water in, right? Like they were able to move water. So what did that do? That helped keep everything fucking cleaner, which helped take down the problem with the plague at the time, you know? So, yeah, but they'll tell you that, oh, nothing happened. You know, the, the plague, you know, it just wiped out everything. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I just wake up in the Renaissance period started. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we're, we're supposed to just believe that shit. We just woke up and the Renaissance period happened because right. it was a black plague. No, it was black fucking people trying to get rid of the bullshit that motherfuckers had did. But, you know, it, it just, that shit, bro, when they would teach that shit in school, man, it would just, it would drive me fucking crazy. It would drive me, and I would go home. I think that that so that is yeah. That's the reason why the the people of Islam wanted me to be a part of it because I was speaking out about the shit. And then we would be in other classes, and they were like, "Yo, you need to come to the temple." I was like, "I don't need to go to no fucking temple to to say this shit, man. I'm just letting motherfuckers know that we being lied to. Like that's all I want people to know. Like, hey, these books are lies." These people, these people aren't as great as they fucking saying. All of them owned slaves. They were all raping these motherfuckers, man. And and, and they were they were doing the most savage and dirty, nasty, filthy things to people. And then turning y'all around and telling y'all that black people were three fifths of a human being. Right. After you had beaten, stripped them of their culture, history, religion, love, and, and spirituality. Like they didn't they didn't know no, 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 they didn't know anything else. So of course they they didn't they weren't considered human. Yeah, yeah, we took yeah. everything fucking from them. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're still doing it. Still doing it. Still fucking doing it everywhere. Still doing it. Everywhere. Hip hop, for people who don't know, people hip hop started as something that's social and conscious. 
social and conscious. We were uplifting the community. We were talking about what's going on in Matt's community. We were talking about what was going on in my community, saying, hey, we got to get these drugs out of here. And next thing you know, everybody a goddamn gangbanger, everybody right. selling dope, and everybody having a fucking party and shaking their ass. And that is not what's going on in our neighborhood. It's fucked up. That yeah. was the truth. Yo, but I do appreciate, like, you when you and Michael were talking about this, when you had Michael on, right? Um, you were talking about Uncle Luke. And, you know, I'm from Miami, so uh, Uncle Luke is kind of an important, important, like, cultural figure in Miami, you know? Absolutely. And, um, like, I, 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 I will hold to certain things, like, for example, because you also actually talked about one of my favorite rappers in that conversation as well, who's, like, Slick Rick, right? And, like, Slick Rick is like really a narrative storyteller, right? So like, um, I find it fascinating, like, I, I because I'm I've always been interested in in the conscious side of the music, but also like the history of the music, right? And like I was talking about like the idea of um, collage as being, you know, like how collage, like artistically, aesthetically, how the music was made, right? Like that part is fascinating. But then also like the history of MC, right? And like I, I do believe that there is a very interesting um, evolution of the part that we don't like, or at least that I don't like, right? Which is like I won't fault NWA, I won't fault Ice T for for uh, being journalistic in regard to what their approach to storytelling and their rhymes were, right? Like no, I don't, not, I don't either. But it was a glamorization of the industry that did that shit that made it seem like right, it. like yeah. that's the and there's a very clear line and and unfortunately, unfortunately, like that line was was compromised and 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 made profound by people looking to make money, right? Absolutely. And and, and executive um, that executive board that we were talking about earlier. Yep, and that executive. Um, like the amount of damage, the amount of damage to the culture has really, I mean, we're like, I think we're feeling it right now, right? Like, Absolutely. like, I mean, come on, man. But man, dude, I get so angry, like by most of the contemporary hip hop music that I hear, right? And don't get me wrong, in the 80s and 90s, I, there was a lot of pop hip hop that was pissing me off then too. So I'm not gonna say that it didn't happen back then, but, um, like, I think it did kind of turn too, and it's like, I don't want to just point fingers either, but I think like there's a very interesting um, symbolism to the fact that it went from like gangster to kind of like jiggy, you know? And like how that happened and uh, like how that, how that really goes along with that greed and that insecurity, right? Like we we're talking about the greed and insecurity and like, like, of course that floss ass, bling ass hip hop music appeals to people who are uh, uh, financially impoverished, right? Like it's feeding directly to the insecurity. That shit is, that is a fucking form of bullying. But the thing, I don't know, man, that shit makes me angry too, I'm sorry. Is, is that, that even the artists don't know that you're sending a message that that your the kids in your neighborhood need to do the shit that you're doing, but you're not telling them in the music that this is your life. Right. This is my life. And hey, don't go out here and do the shit that I'm doing because motherfuckers die trying to do this shit. 
Right. Some of these motherfuckers won't even say, hey, the label paid for all this shit. Right, right, right. I'm on it. Right. The label paid for this chain. This chain ain't even real. It ain't even $100,000. It's, tra- it's just trash. It's moissanite. I just walk around in this shit. Because right. it looked good. The label told me I got to look good. Right. Yeah, I got stylists and all these other people doing it. And then, like, and then I think it's, it's if, if, you know, if you've been around long enough, like, I remember, I remember when, you know, Slick Rick was kind of Slick Rick run DMC, like you know that era. Um, Houdini, like people who didn't have fucking stylists, they created their own style, right? Like Slick Rick did not have a stylist. He went inside his grandmother's closet and pulled out a fur coat, you know, and like made that part of his image as an artist, yeah. right? Yeah. And like. Like, that's not, somebody didn't tell him to do that, you know? There wasn't a crew of executives that told him to make that decision. And then at some point you had the rappers wanting to be like the gangsters on the street. So right. that, that's where we see all of, all that shit coming from, even even to, the, to this day still. Absolutely. Those long gangster in, in, in Chicago, DC, Atlanta, whatever, they saw the, they saw the, they saw the gangsters doing the shit, so they wanted to be like the gangsters. Right. Even now, you see what what happens in, in rap. The the rappers want to be basketball players, and the basketball players want to be rappers. It's the same shit. Art imitates life. Some of the shit is in insecurity. You know, it's 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 crazy. You know, because hip hop has been it's been taken advantage of. It's been watered down. Uh, and you know, I love hip hop music with everything in me. I still do. I still do hip hop music, but it's just a shame that. You know, the representation isn't necessarily what you want. It is what it is. You know, like I'm not like I'm not knocking it. Like I, I like some of the shit that's out here, but you know, when, when we talk about having a message, a lot of the music just doesn't have a message. And I love hip hop music. I love the multi layers to it because every day I do not want to talk about my energy and my chakras. I don't want to talk about that shit every day. Every now and then I want to wake up and punch somebody in the fucking face. Right. Well, I want to talk about how, how it felt for me to go speeding on the Autobahn 125 miles an hour. I don't want to hear that shit. I right, don't. Right. Absolutely. Well, and that's why, like I say, like in, the, in regard the to... The realization like, of it is bullshit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, that's why, that's why, like, it comes back to me to, like, when I was, so when I was younger, like, I had kind of a love-hate relationship. Right now, I've, I've totally rectified that situation inside myself, but I had a very kind of a... A, a kind of a conflicted relationship with like uh, two live crew, right? Because um, part of me was really interested in that kind of like conscious hip hop or hip hop that tells a story, right? Okay. And that I thought that like, there was not really any value. Well, no, 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 no. I was conflicted by the value of like, there would be a party in Miami. And of course there would be uh, some some like Gucci boys or some Two Life Crew or some you know some like that old Miami bass music right and like I was very conflicted about like the idea of what it meant in regard to like um, you know like like exploitation of women as a kid right like I was like but there's something that didn't make me feel right exactly but. At the same time, there's something that's undeniable about the rhythm of it once it comes on and like, you know, everyone's dancing at the same time. Absolutely. 
And Absolutely. what really made me change over time was um, Uncle Luke, right? And not because, not because of the music, but because of the things he did as an artist to defend his right to make the music that he wanted to make. And that, and that while he was also doing that, you know what that dude is doing right now? Do you know what he's doing right now? No, I have no idea what he's doing right now. That dude is a uh, Pop Warner football coach, right? He's a huge, like if you, if you watch, like ever since the 1990s, 1980s, that dude's always been a big football fan, right? Always has some kind of like football, football thing, right? Well, that dude teaches and is a coach to kids playing in Liberty City in Miami, right? And he ran for mayor. Do you know that Uncle Luke ran for mayor in Miami? I did not know that. I did not know that. So like, like here's a dude who went all the way to the Supreme Court and won, right? And also, the parental discretion advisory, that's he, he, he invented and that. He created that, right? Like, they, and it was made to seem like he was made to do it. No, 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 no. They wanted to do that because they were not looking for trouble, right? Like they were looking to make music and to be profitable with the music and art that they were creating. It's right. great, right? So, yeah. Yeah, like that's that's what changed it for me when I started to get a little bit older and as an artist started to want to make money myself and seeing like, you know, if you can defend your art, if you can defend your art, then and you have a purpose, yeah. then maybe there's more to it than it appears on the surface. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was one of the things for me, like like I, I love I love my mom, my mom, I love the women in my family, so a lot of the stuff that I would hear in the music, I was like, man, I would, I would never want nobody to say this type of shit to my, right. my mom or my sisters. I would lose my fucking shit if some dude was calling my sisters a bitch or a hoe or my auntie or my mom. Like, yo, I'm we we, we gonna we gonna be out. I'm, I'll I'll be outside forever. I never have a, any day to rest. No one's gonna. I can't I can't have nobody disrespecting them like that. So. For me, that was the separation, right? Like, right, right, I know right. reality versus this fucking false perception. And I was like, right. yo, oh, this is this is just motherfuckers talking a bunch of shit. Like, right. y'all just have, y'all just got bravado. That's what this shit is. Right. Here's the thing. The parents aren't saying that to the kids. They aren't right. with what the kids are listening to. So the kids are out here listening to whatever. And they're playing it loudly. They're playing it when they're at home. They're reciting it when they're around their friends. But the parents aren't saying, hey, that's not your life. That's that person's life. You aren't going to be raised like that. And you shouldn't do those type of things because those are disrespectful to the people around you or whatever. No. But the music industry says it's OK to call your own. Right. That's where the problem is. Like, right. It's OK to say that type of shit. Right. But that's those same execs who say that, that type of shit, they would not allow nobody else to disrespect their woman. And they know right. that. They right. wouldn't want that shit. And they would call the police if I call, if I called their girlfriend a bitch or grabbed her ass. They would, they would, it would be police everywhere. Yeah. Unless you got some type of freaky type of fucking fetish like some of them motherfuckers do, but um they wouldn't allow that shit. So for me, it was always of the realm of reality for me. What are you saying versus what I know? I like certain. I like to hear certain rappers talk about they fly shit and how they got it in the streets and all that. I love that shit because 
I understand it. I get it. I, I come from that. That's the environment I grew up in. I grew up around some of those guys. Rest in peace to a lot of them. You know what I mean? But the, the separation, what's reality and what's fake? You know what I mean? Ain't nobody getting that shot that many times when they walk outside their house. Ain't nobody committing that many murders every day. Like, all oh, that. come on, man. Like, get, get that some of that shit out of here. I can tell mm-hmm. the difference between what's real and what's fake in the music. But kids... Certain time at certain times they cannot, and because they cannot, that's that glamorization of the fucking music where they think that it's okay to be a drug dealer or to to slap women or do all this crazy wild stuff and and buy ridiculous amounts of clothes that they can't really fucking afford, right? Right, right. Your mom can't even afford that. She just broke her back to buy you buy you some shit that ain't gonna be worth nothing to you or nobody else in a, in a couple uh months. Well, and then again, it comes back to the idea of like other people controlling the narrative, right? Yeah. So, so like if, for example, as an artist, like you, you have uh, a character or, cause you know, so, I mean, me, I guess I could tell because I've been listening to hip hop for more than 30 years, you know, God knows how long now, right? And like, when I listen, I can right away tell the difference between someone who is just saying something and someone who is expressing themselves, right? And, or, and also someone who's expressing somebody else, someone who's expressing somebody else's lyrics, right? Like, I, I, I guess I don't really, I, so, so when it's, you know, those latter two options, right? Someone expressing somebody else's lyrics, that's making money for somebody else that is contributing to um, an aspect of society that is detrimental to, you know, people in general, like that's when it's just depressing, man. Like that's when, that's when I think like, that's the places where the the culture just got totally co-opted and taken away, you know? Uh, I think Mos Def did the album Black on Both Sides. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great album, right? Classic album. He said on that album, hip hop went from selling crack to smoking it. Right. Right. How prophetic was that? Right. Right. That was 1999-2000. Right. Yeah. And when you when you look at the times that we live in. They'll go, oh man, y'all just oh, y'all don't understand. I was like, no, that that's the fucking truth. Like, you guys doing well, that's not what, what we were talking about. The whole point was right. to get move that shit out the way. Get right. it out the way. Like hip hop went from selling crack to smoking it. Medicine for the loneliness. Like, y'all, you all flipped it on his head. But I under but I get it. You know, a lot of guys out here dealing with certain things and they gotta they gotta pop their pills or deal with it or whatever. But you know, I don't know, man. Like what? I, I just think it's it's gonna always be that. It's gonna always be that. It's gonna always be the glamorization of hip hop until we can figure out a way to get it back in, into a place where there is a uh, like some type of gatekeeping, I guess, where you can say, hey, that can get through, or that can be. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't well, know. actually, I think it's in a way. Well, you're, you're you're on to something, but I think it's I think it's not just gatekeeping. I think it's until the gates are blasted off the fucking fence, right? Like, yeah. like 
So, so take like that's why like Michael Coppins. When you were talking about like Michael Coppins was, you know, we talked about Michael being somebody that you interviewed prior. Like one of the things that I think, like aside from Michael as an MC, like one of his most gifted abilities was that his ability to just pull people into having the desire to start rapping. Like I've seen this dude get people to start rapping who just have no context to it whatsoever. Right. And that like showing that 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 core value in hip hop of it being a reactionary music that is just done in the moment as something that is like a, just a pure form of expression, like, like that part, that's the part that is the truest value. Right. Yeah. Like to give people something like to give people something to feel good right in the moment, right there. There's nothing else that anybody could take away from that. Right. And like. You know, I've seen, I've watched it, I've seen it time and time again. And like, that is, that is the truth of it. Like seeing kids, like doing shows or like you know, freestyling, like meeting other people in different parts of the world, they're freestyle. And it doesn't matter what language that they're speaking. Like people could just come together and freestyle. Like that's where the truest, to me, to me, that's my, like, that, that like, yeah, like that's the purest form of it. Like it doesn't matter. Like I've been in South America and Europe and, and Asia and met people that really like and right away I always know. I you know, like maybe I don't we don't all like the same exact artist, but like there's a passion about this music because the truth of the music is there and like you know, you just gotta you just gotta live it, like you gotta get it out, like you can't even control it anymore, you know, like it's just let me ask you about that, because you've traveled. Have you observed the hip hop scene in Tokyo? Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Yeah, yeah. That experience like? So, um, interestingly, like I, I would say, there's like two parts really to my experience in regard to like hip hop here, right? So, um, one is that there are the like people who are really so there's the purists and the commercialists, right? Just okay. like it would be back, but. It's interesting because it's like filtered through the ability of, uh, or, or like filtered through accessibility and filtered through commercialability, right? Like the commercialization. So okay. like there, there's those people that like wanna like, that love that, like love like the idea or that, that the aesthetic of videos and, and wanna be flossing and wanna look a certain way, right? And then there's those people that love that like cultural aspect of it, right? And um, I found that in my experience, I've seen two sides, but what's interesting is the ones that get into it on a cultural level, it's so interesting to see hip hop without the context of the American dilemmas, mm -hmm. you know? It's like, like, um, to me, to me, as a Jewish kid growing up in Miami, like hip hop, you know, of course, like first came from, you know, the Bronx, right? And like, and like the paths that it took were reactionary and were liberated, you know? So like, I, I found kinship and in the belief and in the, those values. You know, 
So I appreciate seeing that in other people. And sometimes it's funny to me that like, they don't, they don't even like, doom, you know, you wanna, let's, let's go a different direction with this. Let me go a different direction with this for a second. You know what's very fascinating is like how racism is in different countries, right? Because like, you can't really bring up like the, the evolution of hip hop in the United States without, without the racial component, right? And that like, and that like, that frames so much of, of, of what it's all about. And um, so to see, to see how that's interpreted in a culture that's largely um, like, like monolithic or like uh, of, of, you know, one ethnic majority, you know, like there's not, you know, this is not America. There, there are certainly other people living here other than just the Japanese, but you know, it's 99% Japanese, right? So like to understand, to understand how hip hop has infused into that it's hard to like be like, what does that mean? You know, so sometimes I, I don't want to challenge people too hard because they don't understand. And that like, how can you like if you really love like like we're talking about most deaf lyrics, you know, like yo, some of those lyrics are like strong. The the meaning there, like even if you understand the English, but you understand, I don't and, and like I don't want to be I don't want to I don't want to insult somebody who doesn't have the context, right? Because they don't have the context, and sometimes that's fascinating. And sometimes it's liberating and sometimes it's frustrating. Gotcha. 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 You know? Gotcha. But but it, it's it's still an experience at the same time though. Oh right? man. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm not I'm you have no you have a different group of people who are experiencing the culture of hip hop because of what they see or what or what they know, but they're only gonna be able to change it or be more involved with what you know by someone being there to show them to show right, it to, right right so then so then sometimes i have felt that way too like i that gives me a unique opportunity to like i can't i would feel it's not my place to bring the history to project the history of the racial struggle that leads to the liberation that hip hop music can inspire i i how could I even mean, right? Like I can't, how could, I can't even parse that with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And yeah, like I you and you. I trust each other, right? Like yeah. we're, we're, in a, we're in a situation of trust where like, you know me and I know you and like we yeah. can have a deep heavy conversation about it. And like yeah. there's a whole level that we can't even parse. Like I can't even parse that with you. And like it, it's, it's a profoundly deep thing. Yeah. So like, how can I, how can I bring that element? So, so then the answer is I don't. Right? Not, not, not because of being lazy, but then let's flip it inside out, right? Let's flip it inside out instead. Where is the point that we can all find agreement instead of all finding agreement through the darkness of it? Where can we find agreement in the lightness of it, in the enjoyment and the richness of it, right? Let's flip it in the entire opposite direction. So, in a way, that's kind of how my approach changed. Because at first, like, I did feel like kind of like a, yo, you say you love this, but you, how do you understand what this even means? Because it's, for me, like, I, I, you know, like, I feel connection to it, but, you know, I'm a Jewish dude. Like, what is, you know, like, it, it, but even though it's my country, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't, I can't take, I don't want to give, it's not for me to affect the narrative either. You know what I mean? Like, 
I'm an ally. I'm not, you know. Yeah. I mean, but you know, it's just it's just you just speaking on it, like, because I know I've been in certain places and I watch how people uh, engage in hip hop, and, and you're just like, oh, this is this shit is cool, you know. Uh, just watching how they do it and everything, and not to make sure that when I'm there, I'm like, oh, you got to follow, you got to know the four elements of hip hop and all that. But, <laughs> right, right, right. but yeah, like I don't, I don't do that to people like when I'm out in different places. But for me, it's just like let me observe what they, what they have, right? What they have selected, and see what it is that they're doing. And then when I'm watching, and they, if they, if I'm asked about something, I'll, I can bring it up and I can talk to them about it, but. Um, for the most part, from what I've seen when I go to different places, man, like they have a, some of the core of it, they have it, you know, like yeah, when you, yeah, yeah, yeah. when you go to like, like, was it Germany and everything? And you see the B-boy scene and every, you know, yeah. like all the dancing, you're like, oh, this shit is crazy. Right. Like, serious. So, so, um, a very good friend of mine lives north of Tokyo, right? And, um, it's about an hour and a half north of here an hour if you take the express train and um there's a there's an old like um kind of industrial town up there but a lot of that industry is gone because things are automized or moved to, to china you know and um but in that old gritty town there is a hip-hop scene that is like dude like so fucking within its within its truth to hip hop is unbelievably thick and deep and juicy, you know. And there are b boys that really that are teaching break dancing and hip hop dance, like at at, at dance it. studios, you Love know. It. And like and, it's, and talented and genuine and and like DJs that are putting music together that are like that that only have a truth to the groove. You know, and um, and you know, people who are freestyling and people that are writing and making tracks, and uh, there is a, a kind of like a thriving hip hop community that is like not how you would see it in the United States, but it's got its own reality and truth, and you know, it's real, it's real true to the groove. That's all I can say. You know. Yeah, I, th I think that was one of the coolest things for me to see, or just see the way that people actually interact with it, um, the way that they took, they have taken hip hop and, and, and learned to make it their own form while while, while I was out. You know, it's just like wow, you know, like people really respect this shit, like they yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it just speaks volumes, and you just you just have such a, a appreciation for it, you know. And I, I love it. I love it in America because through all the bullshit, right, the glamorization of it, you still have a hip hop scene. You have an underground hip hop, like you have independent hip hop, like you have all these great acts that are out there. But then to be able to go to other places and then see how people interact with hip hop, you know, I think it's pretty cool too. I've only had like maybe one or two bad experiences when a guy was trying to be tough and everything. It was like, bro. If I was you, I wouldn't do that. Like people get hurt. Like people get hurt in real life doing what you're doing. Like people get hurt in real life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people actually get hurt. I'm trying to, you know what I'm so what you saying, yo? Like my man. <laughs> Whoa, calm yeah, down. Like, 
If I actually, if we actually get into a confrontation, I hit you. Are you sure? You're going to have a response to that. You know, like it's different, you know, so um, it's only been one or two of those incidences, but for the most part, people want to, they want to engage. They want to feel like they want to understand what that is, man. And the culture of hip hop, like it's, it's something unlike anything else, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's another part too, which is also like here at least, um, like I find, and I, I bet this happens in, in France, my understanding of France, like I'm not really spent, but a very, very brief time in that country. Um, but, uh, you know, the, when you go places here, um, like jazz is kind of like a middle ground music form for people, right? So like you go to a store, you go, you go somewhere, like you don't hear, I mean, of course there's like J-pop music, like Japanese pop music, but it's very common to like go somewhere and like suddenly like you're hearing like, you know, Miles Davis, right? And like in America, people, there are jazz lovers that love Miles Davis, but it's not like respected, I think. Yeah, it's that, a very common thing. You know? It's like and a culture like, to itself. Yeah, like, and then like, I could go somewhere here and suddenly like, whoa, Lionel Hampton, you know? Like music that's like, like to me, like, whoa, that's some intellectual shit. Like, this is some challenging music. Like, I'm being challenged by what's going on here. Yeah. And like, yeah. I think that's a that's a part also that's kind of fascinating is like, so like how you said the respect, like that, that respect that you experienced, like that's the part that sometimes we get, we, you know, in America take it for granted ourselves. But, um, you know, there is there is a respect beyond like just what we see of what we created or like what our what our home country you know had developed. That sometimes it gets reinterpreted and 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 finds different level of respect outside of where it comes from. Yeah, true. But but so you have to expect it though, right? You have to expect it. Like it's not like someone's going oh like there's like uh, the uh, the forefathers going from country to country is like this is. Right, no. <laughs> This is the altar of hip hop, and this is what we're doing. And they're like yeah. sanctifying the temple and everything. Like that's not happening. People are seeing what they're seeing, and they're taking they're taking hip hop, and they're going, "Yo, I like that shit. I'm about to fuck with that." You know? Yeah. But then, like, I think what that what that does is that, like, like you know, I think it's people like like that that metaphor that you just said, right? Like, I think it's people like there's a part of us that we want we want we want to see the temple like like respected and made beautiful, you know, and, and, and people to come and pray. However, like the truth is the temple is not an external place. The temple is inside of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. But we still so, respect the art and the culture of it. Right. And like, you have to carry that. And like, we as individuals carry that and, and take that forth. Right. I, I hope that I haven't gone outside the realm of what I know to do. Uh, I don't think I would, would ever do that. I will only tell my story or just uh, do music that I think is uh, challenging or it, it tells my story or the story of people I know, you know, and, and stick to that because I'm not about to be out here rapping about having on four chains and yeah. diamond rings and all that shit, you know. Um, it's yeah. not my thing. It's not my thing. No. Never, even when at a point where, you know, I could have been doing that. 
You know, people, and the thing that the the thing that I think some people don't understand is there are those who will die for that type of stuff. Right. Die for it, you know. So they will die trying to get a diamond chain, or die trying to take yours in the process. So. Yeah. Or, or there's people that will idolize your ambition for that, and then they will take it to heart. And then, you know, sadly, there's a, a world of people who are not. Uh, making art from the heart, they're making art strictly for profit. And then other people are willing to die or willing to put their lives on the line for uh, an art that, that the, the, that the people who, who manufactured it aren't even willing to invest in on that level themselves, you know? Nope. What did Razzcast say? Um, image is everything, thirst is nothing. And then it was turned right. into like a Sprite commercial or something like that. Right, right, right. And when I think about that now, that's just crazy to hear, to think about it. Image is everything, your thirst is nothing. Yeah. But, but the flip side is this, is like, then if we can be intelligent, we don't have to sacrifice our values, but we can also learn to manipulate the system at least to benefit what our, our, our beliefs are and our values are to help other people, right? I agree, I agree, but. That's the challenge, man. That's, that's a challenge right there, right? That's the challenge. Yeah. I mean, that's like, it's an interesting, there's an interesting part of like, you know, this this thing that happens like, you know, going back to design and art, like visual art is like, people always talk about like style or, or, you know, like, do you make, do you make art? Like, why do you make art, right? But like, I guess I just believe like, I really do believe this. Almost everything is an art or it's entrepreneurial and it's both, or it's just a hobby, or it's just a hobby, right? So like anything that you could do could become something entrepreneurial, right? Right. The same thing, anything that you could do could become an art, right? Otherwise it's just a hobby. Yeah. So, you know, it's very interesting because like when we grew up, like, you know, I don't know how, I can't speak for you, but so often like growing up in America, it's like art is one thing, business is one thing, science is one thing, but the truth is they're not as far away as they appear to be. They're not, and at some point they're all going to intersect, right? Yeah. They're yeah. all going to intersect, yeah. And and if you're doing it right, when you when you make them in a second, you can make a living from it. Yeah, and that and will you can help other people. Happen. Yeah, and, and making a living off of it isn't a bad thing. It's always a good thing, you know. Was it what is it to get get paid to do what you love? And, and not only that, like you know, greed is bad. But there's nothing wrong with making money, and there's nothing wrong with being profitable. Those are those are things to have ambition towards. Uh, that goes back to what we was talking about earlier as far as what success. Success is what you determine it to be, not what someone else sees it as. Sure, absolutely. Show to you on TV, but it's what you consider success. If success is making $200,000 off of, off of making music, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's better than most people sitting at a desk, you know, 
slaving away for somebody else, you know, and it ain't themselves. So um, there's nothing wrong with that. If, if it's $10 million, then I understand that. You have to do $10 million worth of work, though. But, you know, uh, yeah, I, th I think, you know. Okay. I want to, I want to, because I'm going to have to go not too long from now, but I have one of the, like, one of the kind of areas that I want to go over, right? Say that one more time. I want I have one area that I want to go over with you that I'm curious about. All right. All right. And it's, 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 it's uh, topical in that um, it's something that's been going on lately. And uh, it's kind of becoming a pet peeve of mine, right? And it's this like outrage culture thing. Outrage culture? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I know about cancel like, culture, but I don't yeah, know. Cancel culture, outrage culture. I mean, it's, it's synonymous. It's the same thing, right? Like, what's your take on it? Like, like we started talking about this a little bit last time, right? Because I'm seeing this so much lately, right? Is that like on, on the left side, so many people who are, are rushing, so, rushing so hard to defend something that's not even theirs to defend, but because it's the socially just thing to do. Um, that I find it, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm having some, I'm having some, like when I see it, I'm finding it really disheartening. And I'm outside America and I don't see the same behavior here. No, I just think whoever, whoever's responsible for that, I, I think it's kind of like, I think it's just one of those things that we just gonna have to watch pass by, man, because, you know, the, the whole cancel culture is, is a bad concept. Even even to what they're doing with, with Ice Cube, right? Ice Cube came right. in with the contract with Black America. He met with, from from what I saw, I, I didn't do a total investigation. I didn't go in depth. All right, but what I saw, he drew up a contract. He was it was for blah 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 blah. Five hundred billion dollars was a proposal to the Democrats. He met with them. They said no. We'll talk after the election. So he went to the Rep uh, Republicans. They met up. They said, "All right, cool. Let's let's uh let's get something on the board, and we'll go over it with you." And that was that. As a man or a businessman, what would you rather have? Someone say, "I'll talk to you after the election," or someone tell you, "Look, we'll sit with you next week." Right, right. For me, I'm gonna sit with the person who says, "I'll sit with you next week." It doesn't matter about what side is on because we're talking about one bird with, with two different wings. That's what, that's all, that's all it is. Absolutely. That's all it is. It's, it's one bird, two different fucking wings, a left wing and a right wing. That's all the fucking is. And, and in certain, certain cases we got clone chickens that got more than two wings. So it don't matter, but he went and met with them and they talking about, Oh, we got to cancel ice cube. We're not canceling ice cube. This is the motherfucker that gave you NWA and he wrote for them. This is the motherfucker that gave you all these fucking movies that y'all love. This is the same fucking person that's been giving money back to the black community for a long, very long, for a long fucking time. He's been doing very well and he's been trying to help. So how are you going to cancel somebody because he went and met with the other side? That makes no fucking sense. You meet with the people that are willing to look at the ideas that you have and take it into consideration. Absolutely. It's not to say that um, he's going to sell his soul or whatever it is, whatever people are saying is that I have a contract with Matt for $500 billion and he's willing to meet with me. I've tried to meet with 
Eric and Eric didn't want to do it. So now I'm meeting with Matt because Matt says, look, let's sit down and talk about this because this might be good. We might be able to help the black community in this way. That's all it is. How do people get upset and start saying we're going to do cancel culture for, for, for the stuff like that? Every time someone stands up and does something, people get outraged. Why are people so fucking sensitive these days about everything without even knowing the true facts of every fucking right, thing? Right. Yeah, that bothers the fuck out of me. That's why I stay out of that type of stuff because I saw, and then I saw what he posted, Ice Cube posted about it, and he was just like, look, this was my idea. The DM said no. The rep said, let's let's talk about it. What's wrong with that? This this whole cancel culture, man, is bullshit. And whoever started that, man, again, I feel like that's that bullying, that bullying right, thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. That bullying, that's that insecurity. So since I don't like something, I need a bunch of people that feel like me to get behind me and do the same fucking thing. And we need to move these motherfuckers out the way. That's dumb, man. Grow the fuck up. Everybody is not going to agree on everything. Everybody is not going to like everything. As an artist, as a human being, I am not going to like every piece of art I see. I will like certain things and I will not like uh, of the others. You know what I mean? As a person that listens to music, I may like a certain type of hip hop and I may not like the rest of it. That's just fucking human being shit. It's this old, old it's opinion. It's the way I feel about things. We can't be canceling people because of that shit. Cause one of the one of these times is gonna fuck around, is gonna hurt is gonna hurt the wrong fucking person. I think it's I think it's silly, man. It's just one of those things that, you know, in this day and age of social media, uh it's just one of those things that people are doing, man. They don't, they don't have no fucking life, bro. Like, get out here right, and right. affect some real change. Like, get out here right. and change some real shit. Fuck cancel culture. Get out here and change this shit. Get out here on these racist motherfuckers' ass. Get out here and do some shit that really affects change. Don't get out here and tell them about you, you canceling people. That shit. If you're not, if, if, the, if the cancel culture isn't canceling the motherfuckers that need to be done with, then I'm not trying to hear that shit. But like, what about in regard to um, so so take for example the the the, uh, the story about the protests in Portland, right? That um, there's a there's a part that that you know I have a friend who's there and was saying that there are groups of marchers and protesters who like show up at you know in neighborhoods of the houses of people who, you know, they want to see out protesting with them and that they're literally, you know, like calling people to come outside and that, and that if those people don't come outside and contribute to the group of protesters, that then those people are not fighting the fight and that those people are now, you know, supporting the opposition. Can't you can't do that? I I believe so too. You know you can't do that. So to a certain degree, I understand if you 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 want people be be directly involved and affect change. Right. You got some people who don't. They don't want to participate, man. Well, they don't want to participate the way that like you know they don't want to participate by marching down the street. That you want. I'm not gonna participate the way that you want me to. There's certain, there's certain people that aren't going to get out and protest like that. There's certain people that might be out here with groups trying to pass legislation, man. They're trying to do things on a judicial judicial uh, level. But you can't, you can't, that, that, that type of thinking, man, that's that's not progressive. It's just not no. progressive. And at right. the same time, I also think it's a, just a distraction. 
I think it's a distraction. And do you think, do you think, cause like I'm, I'm kind of far away from this right now. Do you think that it's really happening that way? Or do you think it's the kind of thing that there's only a small number of people actually contributing to that behavior? However, because it, it reads in an interesting way in, in media, that it's getting hyped up to sound like it's bigger than it actually is. Well, see, the thing about, as far as I know, with Portland, they're having all type of issues out there, right? There's a lot of different, yeah, it's a compound. Yeah, there's a lot of different things going on out there. Um, and that's the situation, like, I don't know how it's really going on, but I, I would hope these people figure out how to peacefully protest or how to get some justice and some equality going without it spilling into something else because one of these times y'all gonna run up on the wrong person or go to the wrong person's house and the way they respond is not gonna be the way that you expected it to be. And I'm not saying that because I wish harm on anybody, but I'm just right. saying that because some people take things differently. You know what I mean? Like I may respond to words and, and body language differently just like you may respond to it differently. Telling people what to protest, when to protest, and how to protest. You cannot do that. You cannot yeah. do that. If you want to affect change, how come y'all didn't do something four years ago when this shit got into office? Right. Y'all want to affect change? How come no one is stepping up Stepping up when these people, when these babies are getting killed, when all this shit is out here happening? Step up then. Yeah. It's a you lot know, of stuff to step up about. I'm just curious because like this this was one case and then there was this one other case like that that was similar it was like there's a woman who did a study on um, on the effects of uh, gender reassignment on people under on children under the age of 18, right? And she had done a long-term survey of a, a study on what happened with these what happened with these gender reassigned kids, right? And that it turned out that a lot of them when they got into adulthood had a lot of complex issues that were undoubtedly, you know, related to having been, you know, uh, fair, you know, like gender reassigned, right? That they begged, their, you know, they were kids that they begged their parents and because over the last 10 years, that's become a hot button issue. You know, the parents felt the need to do it. And that then now those children, there's a large percentage of them that are dealing with really seriously fucked up issues, emotionally, physiologically, right? So then this woman went on, what's his name? Joe Rogan podcast, right? Uh, then, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Okay, so she went on, you know, the, on the Joe Rogan podcast and then the two of them were talking about this. And he kind of quickly came out and like very, very clearly stated like, if adults want to do gender reassignment, like that's totally, they should have the right to do that, you know, but I want to give this woman the opportunity to like speak what she's talking about, right? And um, and and talk about this study in a critical in a critical you know what does she find out and let's talk about this and you know Joe Rogan is like you know big UFC uh, announcer right as far as and, and this dude was saying like saying like he in, during the conversation um, I went back and listened to it after I heard about this right the outrage that this caused that, but he was saying like he doesn't believe that women. Men who became women should be, be allowed to compete in sports with biologically born women because they are biologically not the same. He didn't say that he has any problem with them doing, you know, any kind of gender reassignment. That's not the issue. The issue is that biologically they're not the same, so they should not be allowed to compete 
in professional sports or in, in, in sporting events with biologically born women. And so that was the viewpoint that the two of them were having this conversation from, not from the viewpoint of gender reassignment is bad for adults and it should be outlawed, right? And suddenly people freaked the fuck out that the two of them had this conversation because they said that it was uh, anti, um, you know, anti uh, against gender reassignment or against people who want to be transgender, right? And so like my point, and it's similar to what you're saying is like, what I fear is that, is that we're living increasingly in a society of reaction, but people don't listen to the important part of the conversation, which yeah. is like when they start out and they say, we're not saying that transgender people don't, shouldn't have the right to change or do what they want when they're adults. But we need to look at what the scientific and, and long-term physiological repercussions are, especially when it comes to children and what the meaning is for this biologically. You know, and let's talk about that and look at the science and look at the data. And that when people freak out over that kind of, when they skip, when they gloss over that and only see the, the same thing, you know? They, they, but you know, that's human nature, right? To hear what they want to hear. Oh uh, yeah, of course, of course, of course, right? of course. Yo, definitely. Think, think about it like this in like one of the smallest examples. I, and I hope this is a good example. If a man decided to become a, a woman, by the mm -hmm. time he's 18 and 19 years old and he decides to go box, right? Mm -hmm. Wants to go boxing as a woman. Right, 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 right. That's the, that's the, right. That's the conversation, right? right? And you, you have the whole, the change and everything and you go box as a woman. Would you still want that person in a ring with another woman? Knowing right. that the physicality of that person is still highly more potent to hurt someone as a woman than it right. would be as a man because that is still biologically physiology biologically yeah, their physical makeup is still right. their insides is still a man right and they know, how, they know how to throw those punches and they know how to turn those punches and they know what they're doing right and like and it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter what you, like, you could talk about like that you can talk about running as a sport right? Like all these sports where like having a body pulsating with testosterone, right? And having the physiological framework of a man. Now, please, I am not, I, again, I'm the same. I'm like, like, I don't give a fuck. Dude, if you want to be a woman, like, yo, be a woman. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, dude, like for real, for real, I don't give a fuck. Whatever makes you happy, for real, do what makes you happy. You know, like if it's not hurting somebody else, if you're not, if you're not a racist asshole or, you know, prejudiced about whatever that is, but whatever that thing is, man, if that's what really makes you happy, then like be it, live it, do you. However, like, man, when we start to, when we talk about that, just, just understand, like, and, and look, let me also say this, those people, if you want to be transgendered, go and use the fucking bathroom you want to use. I don't give a fuck about that. Like, you know, that was a whole big issue like a couple of years ago too, right? Like if you were woman, man to woman, but you can't use the woman's room now. Fuck off. That's some straight prejudice, right? It's, it's all it's all weird, man. They're making all this shit so fucking weird, man. Like, but 
just what's don't. interesting because like it's not it's not only the part like i don't really care so much only about the gender issue of it like that's not actually necessarily the part that's interesting to me in it it's the part that i said to you first it's the outrage culture and, and it's the lack of being able to have critical conversation right so like the same thing like we i think it's important to look at what is the fucking biological difference in a man becoming a woman for the sake of a competitive sporting event that we have an objective setting of what is a win right like there's and, a, and to me that seems like know? cheating right right like that's not fair like if you biologically had more muscle mass because you had testosterone flowing through your system while you were growing up that's that should disqualify you and and maybe those people need and deserve deserve to have their own category for which to compete right but the problem is fundamentally like for the ones that freak out in outrage like that's the part that like i guess the reason why i brought it up is just like i was curious like what your take on because no, we, man, can't, we just, can't we can't be out here just panicking just because someone says right. hey the sky right. is orange the sky is orange no, no, right. no let's find out why the sky is orange right right is there right. something is there gases or something in, in the clouds that are making the sky orange or whatever it may be why is the red moon or why is the red orange i mean the uh the moon orange the moon right. red like things like that like instead of us panicking and acting a fucking fool Let's find out. Like, let's get some. Let's get some data to back right. up these things before we start going crazy about it. And even when, and especially when, so so that's only the first level. So especially when your set of data says one thing, and my set of data says something different, and we're still trying to figure out this problem, and we have totally different data. Where's the difference? And like, let's still like now. Now the people behind us are no red is right. No orange is right. Right, but meanwhile, like we still got a fucking problem to solve. Yeah, yeah, we can. And like that's that's this that's the fucking critical problem. That's the critical problem right now in a nutshell of like all of these different things, right? Of like the bullying, of fucking insecurity, of greed, of all of this together. Of like why you know so much money goes to fucking military instead of helping to redevelop energy and, and agricultural infrastructure. Right. And the fact that and that we can't even have the fucking conversations as to like what how do we take the next steps with our society? And yeah. like uh, man, this shit just eats me the fuck up. That shit makes yeah. me angry. Yeah, that's what it, like, like I said, that's why sometimes I just turn this shit off. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. No, man. I get on my phone. When I do get on my phone, hey, how you doing? I start trying to speak positive vibes to people because a lot of this shit, man, is it's out of it's not necessarily out of our hands, but it's up to us to take it in, interpret it the way we need to, and then push it back out and say, this is what I think about this. This is my idea and share it out with the world because the way some of these people are thinking, man, is not progressive. It no. is not progressive to, to, the way we sh- to the way we should be moving as people. But- and I think like that's the, that's the part where like the, that true hip hop culture, I don't want to say true, but like that, original hip hop culture or like the origins of hip hop, right? Like let's get together in the park and do something funky, right? Like, like 
let's like it doesn't matter what like you live on this side of the neighborhood and like these motherfuckers are over here and usually your side of the neighborhood and my side of the neighborhood fight but like fuck that shit we're getting in the park and we're gonna hang out and we're gonna make some music and like that's that's what you know i hope i hope that we are are being like the first generation the real you know like bringing that hip-hop energy that part of it to to other people i think like that's something that can help kind of lower the volume on the bullshit yeah yeah i'm with you i'm with you but my man well <laughs> you've been on here for a while yep I think uh, we've covered a lot of I shit. Think, yeah, I think like yeah, yeah. I think that kind of puts a bow on this time. The first time we didn't do it, you know. And again, I apologize, but it's right, my cousin was um was in a dive. I'm sorry that, that that happened. I, I I love my family, man. Like that's to me, that's the end. That's the backbone. That's my foundation, and I love them people. So you know, um, when something goes wrong with them, I am very concerned. Just happy that you know all the prayers and all the positive vibes and energy that went to him helped him out, in the, and that his kids and his girl was okay. Yeah. Uh, but I appreciate you rescheduling with me and, and coming back around for it because we seem like we did a lot better this time around, man. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> well, I mean, it's not it's not comparable, right? Like you don't even have to. It's not you don't even have to compare. There's nothing there to compare. Yeah, and I, yeah that, that was you know it's unfortunate and I, I hope that you know there's speedy recovery and yes sir yes sir um, right now we're working on that getting getting that arm in better condition because at one point they wanted to amputate it so um, right now yeah, we're just crazy. Making, sure, making sure that arm is, is is doing better and better day by day hour by hour, hour. so I appreciate you man love you for it well. yeah man much love yes sir um, I'm gonna get off here because I gotta get myself ready for the next day. All right. Yes. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, my bro. Yeah, I appreciate it too. Yes, sir. Peace.